0: It's a damn tough life full of toil and strife we men undergo. And we don't give a damn when the gale is done how hard the winds did blow. Cause we're homeward bound from the arctic ground with a good ship taut and free. And we won't give a damn when we drink our rum with the girls of Old Maui. Rolling down to Old Maui, me boys rolling down to Old Maui. We're homeward bound from the Arctic ground, rolling down to Old Maui. Welcome to Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements. I'm Mark.
1: And I'm Ben. And uh, we don't actually have a cat immediately to hand, but there's one nearby.
0: (laughs) Yes, uh, the cat is this time not on the couch, but is in the living room. Uh, I
1: repeat, the cat is in the living room, moving uh, forward. uh,
0: And this time it's the other cat. It's Hobbs rather than Panini.
1: Uh, They're both so good.
0: They are really good cats. Um,
1: (laughs) Anyways, he's. I will try to be less distracted by him cleaning himself and being adorable.
0: I mean... Here's the thing. On the one hand, there's a part of you that is like, yeah, Ben, be professional. But as you said about five minutes ago, and you were correct to say, people like it when there's cat content on the podcast.
1: Yeah, they, they like it when the cat causes problems. But right now, he's just being majestic.
0: Yeah, he's good. He's a good cat. Um,
1: huh.
0: So, uh, today we're doing chapters 81 through 84. Um,
1: okay, but first, do you think Ishmael is a dog person or a cat person?
0: Uh, I mean, I feel like in terms of, like, what people's sort of modern stereotypes of those are, people would say he's a cat person because he's, like, a nerd. But, um, but we've seen him say very nice things about dogs in this book. Oh, that's
1: true, whereas, that, uh, the, um, the, the sea does not have any equivalent of a
0: dog. Exactly, whereas he hasn't really said much about cats. Um, so, I mean, I think that based on the evidence, I would describe him as more of a dog person than a cat person. Yeah,
1: that's that's probably true, and he does he does like to have his affections returned in very direct fashion. On the other hand, possibly it's picking up that Hobbes is purring as I'm petting it, just as an argument for cats in general. <laughs>
0: uh, anyways,
1: uh, cat content aside, sorry yeah. to delay things.
0: Here's what I'll uh, here's what I will say. Whether Ishmael prefers cats or dogs, I'm sure he could go on at length about why the one that he prefers is superior.
1: Uh, You know that there's a category of literary figures who have written extended essays about why cats are better than dogs. And as far as... I I can only think of two authors that I know otherwise for this. And they're H.P. Lovecraft and Anne Rand. So Ishmael writes a pro-cat screed is suddenly like, I'd I'd rather not. I'd (laughs) rather he doesn't join that particular company. Let's stick with uh, dogs for Ishmael.
0: Yeah, I mean, I... What I will say is that I think that writing extensively about how great cats are is a thing that lots of authors do. That's true. Like, I'm sure Neil Gaiman has done that, <laughs> right? That dude's There's an entire short story, cats. yeah. Uh, not to say I don't like Neil Gaiman, but I think he's a little better than H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, both like,
1: Controversial literary opinions on this podcast.
0: <laughs> um, but, like, I, I think the thing that makes essay about why cats are definitely better than dogs Mm, it's the it's
1: the bit where you're just dunking on people who just like their dog
0: exactly like that's real asshole behavior um (laughs) so i'm not surprised that the two people you can think of who've written that are in fact real assholes assholes. (laughs) yes
1: Um, Uh, okay i've definitely delayed things long enough but somehow in doing so i managed to get Hobbs into like petting range so i have no regrets
0: i mean if you can talk and pet your cat at the same time this will work do you think you can do that
1: uh, yes, I think that is technically possible.
0: <laughs> okay, so chapter 81, the Pequod meets the Virgin.
1: Which is not actually called the Virgin.
0: Well, it's called the Jungfrau, which means virgin in German.
1: Okay, but he could have just called it the Pequod meets the Jungfrau, but I think he had a thematic reason.
0: Yes, uh, so, um, so.
1: <sighs> oh god, the Virgin Virgin and the Chad Pequod.
0: That's absolutely what this chapter is about. Yes, it is! I
1: just realized that. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad to realize.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, um, the Pequod <sighs> meets a German whaling ship called the Jungfrau, uh, captained by a man named Derek de Deer. Of Bremen? Yes. Um, who, incidentally, in all previous cases, when uh, they're, when they've met another vessel, and Ishmael has talked about the captain of that vessel, he's referred to that man by his last name, uh, but he calls this one Derek.
1: Yeah, it's got very strong, um, like uh, calling a a grown man by his first name the way you would like uh, a toddler energy.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's a little bit uh, dismissive.
1: Yes. Um. Uh, you, a little bit. Uh huh. Uh.
0: So um. The. Uh. Basically, as soon as the ships sight each other. Yeah. Um, Derek sets off toward the Pequod in a boat uh, with a lamp feeder and an oil can, which a lamp feeder is like a, um, well, I'll just read what PowerMobydick.com says, a vessel with a narrow spout for pouring oil into a lamp.
1: It, it's basically the thing you, it's like a funnel. It's the thing that you get the, you move the oil between things with. So he has an oil can, he has a lamp feeder. He wants to borrow a cup of oil. Yes. And- Part of the joke here, and it is a joke, is that a whaler running out of oil implies they've had no luck whatsoever and no skill at catching whales. Because if you haven't got any—if you've got a whale, you have oil enough for years. Because that's the point of the industry.
0: Yes. So it's definitely, like, from the beginning, we're like, damn, uh, Derek and the Virgin do not know what they're doing. Um, Yeah.
1: There's also— I think a little bit of irony when um, uh, the boat of the young just shoots off towards the Pequod. Uh, it's framed as, uh, for some reason, the young seemed quite eager to pay her respects, and then it turns out that it's because they want to be like, I, I um, can't, I can't work at night. I don't know if even have light, you know, oil to light my uh, cabin, which is a terrible situation. Would you just let me borrow some oil for that?
0: Yeah, um and of course, uh the first thing Ahab is not interested in this. The first thing he wants to know is if they've seen the white whale, but they have no information about that. Um, yes.
1: Uh also, God, the um the sentence here, uh he concluded by hinting that his ship was indeed what in the fisheries technically called a clean one, that is, an empty one, well deserving the name of Jungfrau or the Virgin. Yeah. <sighs> The Virgin Derek in the chat, Hab begins. Yeah, yeah. So- uh, and he very straightforwardly, like, goes, um, I don't know anything about a white whale, which is, again, I think a sign of inexperience. Every, like, serious whaleman we've met has some kind of tale of the white whale.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: but he'd like some, uh, he'd like some oil. They haven't gotten even a flying fish, is how it's put. Um, and, uh, having gotten that, he immediately leaves. It's yeah. Not very courteous.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, th- and the Pequod does give them oil. Um, yep. Which, ugh, God, it's like the Pequod does this one neighborly thing for them, and then for the rest of the chapter, <laughs> it's just like cutthroat rivalry.
1: Well, we'll see why, because I'd... as their as the Unkrab's boat is departing, uh, they spot a pod of whales.
0: Yes, and uh, and you know, unsurprisingly. Derek is completely desperate to catch one of these, so he, uh, he doesn't even return to the ship to put the lamp feeder and the oil can away before, uh, having the boat he's in go right out after the whales.
1: Yeah, so he has—this is sort of a scene, because he has a considerable distance advantage over the, uh, the Pequod's boats, because they have to lower while he's already in the water, um, and— the, uh, and then the Pequod's boats very quickly overtake the rest of the, uh, the Virgin's boats, which are just not at all to the same degree. And I gotta say, this whole sequence is just constantly dunking on Derek. Ishmael me- Melville made up a guy
0: <laughs> to
1: explain how bad at whaling like, German and Dutch whalers can be, because there is a nationalistic element where, like, the Germans and Dutch are are stated to have been once very important to whaling, and in fact, we've noticed that a number, or at least I've noticed, I'm sure you have as well, a number of uh, whaling terms are originally from the Dutch.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there's a mention of this, like, at the beginning of the chapter, that these two nations were once uh, important to whaling and now really are not... Um, so, yeah, uh, definitely there's a nationalistic element. Also, there's a nationalistic element in the way that the crew of the Pequod talk about this. Um, as mm-hmm. we'll see, because um, uh, this skips ahead slightly, but I think it, you know, isn't that confusing to skip ahead to this. Um, as the Pequod's boats are rowing, um, all three of the mates are, you know, encouraging their men, in their each in their characteristic way. But each of them is specifically uh, saying... Like incorporating into their spiels something about like we've gotta beat that German.
1: Yep. Also, the way they say German is Yarman.
0: Yeah. Well Which
1: all I can think of is Bloodborne, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yes, the the Jarman.
0: Yes. Um
1: I mean I guess Starbucks says German.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of like a like a I don't know if you would say like it's slang or like it's like a, a certain accent or something. I think mm. Starbuck is a little too respectable to say Yarmen.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's definitely the case. But it, both Stub and Flask say Yarmen.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh. Anyway, so um.
1: Also, they definitely just call Dutch and German interchangeably.
0: Yes. Um. Yep. <sighs> so, uh, although, so they're 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 making after this pod of whales. Uh. Um, but in particular, actually, um, they're all making after, uh, one of the whales in this pod, or possibly just kind of near this pod?
1: Shortly behind this pod is in the chase, and the pod clearly know that they're being chased. These are sperm whales, Mm -hmm. um, as, you know, that is what the Pequod is licensed to hunt, um, uh, to go down and give the death, but, uh, this one is not necessarily part of the same pod, even though... It's also a sperm whale because apparently very old and sort of uh, unhale sperm whales are like often found hanging out near a pod but not in one
0: yeah I, I think it's probably specifically old bull whales? That's entirely possible, That aren't necessarily part of pods? um. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, He is a, quote, huge, humped old bull, which by his comparatively slow progress, as well as by the unusual yellowish encrustations overgrowing him, seemed afflicted with the jaundice or some other infirmity. And, god, I really feel for this whale.
0: Yeah, this is like an old, sick, dying whale.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this, the whale has, like, one fin missing, either from birth or from injury, has, like, Incrustations has uh, ulcers that we will later see, um, and is generally not able to keep up with the pod as they're all being chased. And of course, all of the whalers are like, "It's a large whale, and it's a weak whale. Get him!"
0: Yeah, this this is the 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 features that make this whale kind of uh, you know pitiable, are also uh-huh. exactly what makes it a desirable target. Um, so, uh,
1: and he's. He's also, like, uh, heaving and wallowing, is how he's described. And, in fact, is in, like, Ishmael goes to such lengths to make it clear how unfair this is. The whale is even moving slowly because the wake of the eight potted whales ahead of him are, uh, is, like, breaking over his face and slowing him down.
0: Also, the whale's spout is, like, uh, ragged and and slow. And, (laughs) and, and it, uh... It's
1: a fart joke.
0: Yeah, the, the, there's some sort of, uh, like... thing
1: going on which makes bubbles come up behind him. Hmm? And the mates are, of course, joking about a foul wind from a stern.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, just this, this whale is fucking not well.
1: I will say, uh, he has the stomachache, I'm afraid. Lord, think of having half an acre of stomachache. I'd rather not, thank you. <laughs> I I do just fine with the, like, I don't know, 30 feet of intestines I've got.
0: Yeah, um yeah. So, uh all the boats, uh the Pequods and uh the Youngfrau's, um including to be clear, boats other than Derek's, like the Youngfrau yes. has lowered its other boats too, her but, other boats. Yeah. Um
1: but Derek's is out in front and the other young boats just do not matter to this scene. They yeah. just get blitzed past by the Pequod, which, as we all know, has the best possible whalers.
0: Yeah, like, I, I think it has been, uh, made somewhat clear in previous scenes, but in this one where they're actually in direct competition with another whaler, it's really evident, like, the Pequod's oarsmen are of the best.
1: Yes, especially Kwee but but <laughs> yes, um, more generally, the Pequod's oarsmen are of the best, the, um... Uh, the general, like, ability of the mates to command them is of the best.
0: Yeah. Um, and, uh...
1: You know, I don't think... I don't think Ahab lowers for this one, does he?
0: No, he definitely doesn't. We only hear about the three mates. I mean, I yeah, don't yeah. think Ahab lowers for anything but the the possibility of the white witch. Wa- well, oh, no! No, he
1: does. Remember, we've met his, uh, his mm, crew he, and... He did lower
0: for that... Well, okay, I think that what was going on there... I mean, this is my possible explanation... Um, is that he was he wanted to accomplish this sperm whale on one side, right whale on the other side thing, and so he needed to lower for a sperm whale.
1: Well, the thing is, he but I he think... also
0: didn't lower for that right whale, did he?
1: He didn't because that was beneath him. I think he just does want to whale because in part it's possible that it's practice. It's possible that it's keeping his hand in and being prepared. But I think on some level, it's just that he is a whaleman through and through and he wants to be out hunting and also possibly he wants to practice with his particular crew who will take him against the white whale in the end so he i think he will lower for sperm whales but i don't think he's particularly eager to having just had this conversation with Derek immediately jump in a boat like he has the prerogative to choose to lower when he wants
0: yeah and you
1: know maybe you'll be right that it was just about getting that sperm whale head and after that he doesn't care so much if we don't see him lower again against any whales,
0: yeah, I think that'll that'll really be the question. Like, does Ahab ever pursue a regular sperm whale again? Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, one thing that happens, by the way, while they're all in this chase, is that as as Derek's boat is pulling ahead, uh, despite the extraordinary speed of the Pequaz yeah, it's not boats, so much
1: that he's pulling ahead; it's just that he started ahead and. They're not quite catching up to him yet, but they're, they're closing the distance, but he's going to get to the uh, ailing whale first.
0: Yes, and he shakes the lamp feeder at them.
1: Yeah, he, um, and then eventually, uh, throws it back at them, like just tosses it over as they get close to the uh, whale.
0: Yeah, it's, um... It's, it's a very, you know, it's an extremely confident gesture. It's him basically saying, like, oh, fuck this oil I got from you. I don't need it. I'm about to have plenty.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, at this moment, Derek was in the act of pitching his lamp feeder at the advancing boats, and also his oil can, perhaps with the double view of retarding his rival's way, and at the same time economically accelerating his own by the momentary impetus of the backward toss, which I gotta say is the most Ishmael thing I've heard about this entire chase. She's like... Maybe he also thought it would move faster, because you see, according to Newton's laws of motion.
0: <laughs> yes. Um.
1: Uh, but, you know, this gets Stubb to crawl, call him the unmannerly Dutch dogger. Yeah. And uh, everyone in the boats agrees. Uh, Stubb is like, what do you think, Tashtego? And Tashtego's like, uh, I think pull harder. You know, row harder. We're going to get him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but... Uh... Ishmael does tell us that Derek would have won the chase except that uh, had not a righteous judgment descended upon him in a crab which caught the blade of his midship oarsman, which I think is not... I don't think this literally means a crab grabbed the blade. I think it means... No, no, no.
1: A crab is when you... um Catch the oar wrong during a stroke that's that crabbing your stroke is a term.
0: Okay. Yes I I was about to say I wasn't 100% positive That was like a a common term as opposed to like a metaphor that Ishmael was making but But yeah, yeah,
1: it's called catching crabs It's when you bring the oar down uh, Flat rather than so when you're using an oar you're supposed to if you're doing it right and I I got some instruction from my parents when I was learning how to row a rowboat um uh, they're very, you know, very against catching crabs, as, u- as usually the case. Uh, when you bring it down, you're supposed to have, because you know an aura is flat, right? The thin edge goes into the water, then you turn it as part of the stroke so that the flat edge pushes the water. And catching a crab is bringing it down so the flat edge hits the water, and you can't get it underwater, and it jars your whole rhythm. And if you're doing this in a team, as they are here, uh, it's going, to sn- it's going to snag and destroy the rhythm for everyone. It's going to slow down your boat significantly.
0: Yeah, so it is, you know... It is
1: also a failure of inexperience or incompetence.
0: Yes, so it's definitely, like, it is on some level the Jungfrau crew's fault that this yes, happens. Yes,
1: it is yet again the virgin Jungfrau and the Chad Pequod. Yes. Also, there's an image from, I think it's, like, it's an anime. It's specifically, like, JoJo's Part 3, where the three or four incredibly huge, just muscular men that are the main cast walk up to a bar, order iced teas, all take them, drink them in the exact same motion and put them down, and it's like this staggering display of anime masculinity. And that's the image that popped into my mind as it described the three boats of the Pequod moving perfectly abreast, like just constantly moving forward through the water, just just this solid wall of overstated masculine muscle uh, <laughs> arriving to the scene like they all throw their harpoons at the exact same moment
0: well uh, let's get there yeah because it, i want to i want to quote some of what uh, ishmael actually says about the harpoon darts um yes. which is that uh basically so you know in this moment uh the the young stumbles and and uh the the packwads boats catch up with her um and uh and the whale is, uh, going head out, um, you know, that thing that sperm whales do where they lift their heads out of the water to go as fast as possible, um, and, uh, basically, you know, the, it's clear that the whale is, um, you know, terrified and aware that he's being pursued, um, and, uh, realizing that if he doesn't, if he doesn't get the whale now, the Pequod's boats are gonna get her, uh, get him, uh. Derek decides to have his harpioneer make what to him must have seemed a most unusually (laughs) long dart. God. Yeah. Just really underlining the difference in skill here.
1: Also, there's um, another description of the whale being very pitiful here. It was a terrific, most pitiable, and maddening sight. The whale was now going head out and sending his spout before him in a continual tormented jet, while his one poor fin beat his side in an agony of fright. Now to this hand, now to that, he yawed in his faltering flight, and still at every billow that he broke, he spasmodically sank in the sea, or sideways rolled towards the sky, his one beating fin. So have I seen a bird with clipped wing, making affrighted broken circles in the air, vainly striving to escape the piratical hawks. (sighs)
0: Ugh. Yeah.
1: And also, Ishmael mentions, you know, the whale has no voice to this, so the bird will scream in horror, uh, you know any any animal will do so. The whale has nothing like that, and so is silent to the last.
0: Yeah, uh, and so you know, uh, Derek's harpeneer um, makes that dart, but or
1: prepares to prepares
0: to yes. But before he can do it, all three of the Pequod's harpeneers uh, stand up and throw their darts over the the young Frau Boat's heads.
1: Yes, in a precise and like again, this is why I'm thinking of that like absolutely like uh simultaneous coordinated presumably the identical physical action for all three of them yeah yeah i'm imagining the three harpoons moving precisely together at the same speed like uh like you know a, a jet overpass with the contrails
0: yeah and and then uh the the three Pequod boats uh moving past the jungfrau boat uh The three boats, in the first fury of the whale's headlong rush, bumped the Germans aside with such force that both Derek and his baffled harpooner were spilled out and sailed over by the three flying keels.
1: Yeah. To be clear, what's happened here is they've all made fast and are now being yanked forward by the whale, which is why they suddenly just vroom past him like a cartoon, and, you know, presumably Derek spins around a bunch and then ends up with a sign, you know, uh, fallen down by the side of the road with a sign that says, Ouch. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, and this, to this I feel like is the point at which, uh, I guess Stubbs specifically is, is being the cruelest to this boat that just is having terrible luck and is just not as good at this as the Pequod is. Yeah,
1: but they were also mean to the Pequod. So, really, who's in the wrong?
0: <laughs> like, what Stubb says is, uh,. Don't be afraid, my butter boxes. You'll be picked up presently. All right. I saw some sharks astern. St. Bernard's dogs, you know. Relieve distressed travelers. Uh, so, like, yeah. Look, if the young Frau had just been beaten in, like, a legitimate chase and, like, had some people knocked overboard and was not able to catch the whale, like, that really does suck for them, especially in the situation where they've not been able to catch any whales and don't even have oil to light their lamps at night. Yeah. But I guess... This is legitimate capitalist competition? Question mark. Sure, <laughs> um, but but then to say like, oh, it's fine. You're gonna be eaten by sharks. Like, good lord. I mean, he's just.
1: I don't think he actually expects them to be eaten by sharks. I think he's just making fun of them. I mean, especially yeah. since there's gonna be a whale for the sharks to eat. So, as noticed, the whale, the sh- sharks do not actually care for sailors more than they care for whale.
0: You're absolutely right. I'm. I'm just saying, like,
1: yes, yeah, stuff is absolutely being. Needlessly mean and a poor winner,
0: and like uh, you know, I'm not saying that I remotely expected the Pequod to do this, but there is a sense of fair play in me that is like, guys, just let the young frau get the whale. They don't have any oil.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens with the whale later.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so uh, so the,
1: the... uh the run ends quickly.
0: Yeah, the whale sounds, uh, dives, and, uh, the three lines run out, um, and, uh, pretty soon, uh, all three boats are, like, heavily heeled over to the bow, and they are just holding on tight, hoping that the, that the, um... You know, that having the harpoons stuck in him and the and the pull of the ropes will tire out the whale.
1: Yeah, and not just tire out, will convince the whale to return up to the surface because if the whale was smart enough to just keep diving and keep diving, no matter what the pain, the boats would be sunk and the whale would be free. Yes. But in this case, and you know, in most cases, the they play out as much line as possible to try and get the whale to turn around and come back up to relieve the pressure on the uh, on the harpoon that has been lodged in the whale and so you have this moment where they're just at the limit of how much line they can put out. They literally don't have any more line they're all uh, healing up the boat is being pulled, I think there was a statement of like 6 inches above the water, the edge of the, the gunwale of the boat is barely above taking on water when the whale uh, you know, re- begins to come back up again held up by the harpoon Um, and
0: And something you just said finally made me understand a a sentence here that I had been a little confused by, which is, um, so I'm just going to read a couple sentences here. But though boats have been taken down and lost in this way, yet it is this holding on, as it is called, this hooking up by the sharp barbs of his live flesh from the back. This it is that often torments the Leviathan into soon rising again to meet the sharp lance of his foes. Yet not to speak of the peril of the thing, it is to be doubted whether this course is always the best. For it is but reasonable to presume that the longer the stricken whale stays underwater, the more he is exhausted. And he goes on to say, because of the water pressure. Yeah. Um, which, the thing that was confusing me about this was, I thought that when he says, not to speak of the parable, peril of the thing, it is to be doubted whether this course is always the best, I thought he was referring to the course, or rather the decisions, that the Pequod's boats are making. Mm. But he's referring to the decision that the whale yes, is making.
1: Yes, I think you're right. Basically right. saying
0: that, like, uh, it is understandable that the whale would uh, come back up to the surface. Um,
1: because it is understandable, but isn't... Is that not... Is that a bad decision? Well, also, the whale is getting exhausted. It might not have enough air. Yes. So it is... There's a number of reasons why this method works, even though on some level... Uh, again, if the whale knew to just keep diving and keep diving, pull past the, um, the, uh, the buoyancy of the boats that serve as its, like, uh, to pull, to yank on that. If it could just ignore that pain, any whale could get free because it could simply sink those boats and sail off. Yeah. You know, possibly still die of having metal things stabbed in it, but that's apparently pretty non-lethal for a ginormous whale.
0: Yeah. And, uh... Ishmael kind of reflects on how, like, absurd and impossible it is that they have a, a, a leviathan suspended by— Well,
1: before that, he talks about water pressure, which I think is worth mentioning.
0: Okay, yeah, I was just going to sort of skip over it. Yeah, so I know no, He no, no, mentions I know. the water pressure, but if you want to talk about that Yeah,
1: specifically, detail. he talks a little bit about how— Because I specifically like his, you know, phrase, you know, We all know what an astonishing atmospheric weight we ourselves stand up under. Even here, above ground, in the air— How vast, then, the burden of a whale bearing on his back a column of 200 fathoms of ocean. And, you know, I think that's a a reasonable thing to say and a reasonable, like, concept. Um, You know, there is a certain amount of simple weight on everyone from air pressure. And, uh, yes, whales are giant. They get a huge amount of pressure from this huge column of water. It's a way of emphasizing the strength of the whale, but also talking about sort of the the Scientific, the material facts that make it possible for whalers to bring up this whale.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, now that you're focusing on the details here, I am a little curious about uh, uh, Ishmael suggests that at 200 fathoms of depth, it, mu- it must at least equal the weight of 50 atmospheres. Now, we definitely know in detail at this point yes. what the.
1: So- we could look up. Um, how many atmospheres of pressure you get at a given depth.
0: I kind of want to. Do you mind if I No, do?
1: go ahead. While, okay. while you're doing that, do you mind if I talk through the next uh, section? Yeah, go ahead. So the next section is, um, uh, you know, Ishmael sort of contemplating about how for a moment— The boats are just sort of floating placidly on the ocean. Sure, they're being pulled a little, but now the strain on the rope even might be uh, reducing, the line might be coming back as the monster swims back up. And he says, Nay, not so much as a ripple or a bubble came up from its depths. What landsman would have thought that beneath all that silence and placidity, the utmost monster of the seas was writhing and wrenching in agony? Not eight inches of perpendicular rope were visible at the bows seem it seems it credible that by three such thin threads the great Leviathan was suspended like the big weight to an eight-day clock I'm, I'm not exactly sure what an eight-day clock is
0: oh I can tell you it's in it's on powermoby Um they uh, it's it's a, a clock that only needs to be wound every eight days oh
1: so it has a relatively heavy weight to drive the mechanism for a solid eight days exactly makes sense um, anyways uh, how many atmospheres is what is it Four hundred yards. Yeah,
0: so two hundred fathoms is four hundred yards, and actually, Ishmael did overestimate it a little bit. It's uh thirty-seven point something atmospheres.
1: Yeah, yeah, about thirty-seven point three. It looks like.
0: Yeah, which I mean, you know, still he he wasn't his estimate was not like far off. Like, yes, yeah,
1: within an order of magnitude, according to physicists, that's basically the same.
0: <laughs> yes. So um, and but...
1: Ishmael certainly does have a metaphysicist's heart.
0: Uh huh. Anyway, um, yeah. <sighs> so uh that's he also
1: i really want to i'm a thing we can't calculate because it would require a lot more research one whaleman is estimated at the weight of 20 line of battle ships with all their guns and stores and men on board which is a very impressive image but i have no idea whether one of those weighs one atmosphere or (laughs) slightly more
0: yeah um
1: Uh, but yeah the um also uh I love this phrase about the, like, looking down directly into the water, the eternal blue noon. Yeah. It's just, you know, the depths, the, um, because it, the, the constantly blue and flat depths. I think the idea is that it's never, like, the, I'm really not entirely sure what exactly that metaphor is doing, but I like it.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and he also, but did, I'm sorry, did you actually read this aloud when you were reading that paragraph about Leviathan being suspended at the part where he quotes Job? No. Well, he quotes Job, uh, to, you know, basically saying, like, oh, well, in Job it literally says... Well,
1: well, do you want to read it? Sure. From Is This?
0: Is this the creature of whom it was once so triumphantly said, Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons, or his head with fish spears? The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold, the spear, the dart, nor the habergean. He esteemeth iron as straw, the arrow cannot make him flee, darts are counted as stubble. He laugheth at the shaking of a spear. This the creature? This he? Oh, that unfulfillments should follow the prophets.
1: Um. For with the strength of a thousand thighs in his tail, Leviathan had run his head under the mountains of the sea to hide him from the Pequod's fish spears. Yep. Which I just love when Ishmael gets on one of these. I love when he's invoking the imagery of Job. I love when he's like, uh, like the strength of a thousand thighs in his tail. That's fantastic. Yeah. And run his head under the mountains of the sea also fantastic
0: yeah no this is this is all very good
1: but he's just this this emphasis of um, you know what at previous times uh, Ishmael said that you know the sciences the knowledge of man cannot uh, bring out Leviathan with a fish hook um, he's you know but at the same time the whaler can the yeah. whaler can literally hook Leviathan and I think this plays very directly into the I mean the conflict of Ahab and the living God
0: <laughs> yeah uh, so, uh, after this period of time where, uh, the, the boats are sort of, uh, healed over and the, the whale is suspended at depth, um, they- God, there's
1: so many good sentences here, like, In that sloping afternoon sunlight, the shadows that the three boats sent down beneath the surface must have been long enough and broad enough to shade half Xerxes' army. Who can tell how appalling to the wounded whale must have been such huge phantoms flitting over his head?
0: Yeah, and uh, uh, Starbuck calls out that the whale stirs, uh, which they can tell by the ropes vibrating, um, and uh, the whale begins to rise. They haul in the lines. Um, and when it surfaces, uh, it is, the whale is clearly uh, exhausted and has lost a lot of blood, uh, although he's not spouting blood yet, so he's not yes. like in the process of dying yet.
1: Yeah, it's just that whales have... A lot of blood in them. Yeah. Something Ishmael claims, and I have no idea if it's true, is that whales do not have a, uh, a valvular arterial system which is to say their blood vessels won't close off or reduce flow when injured so the whale will just keep bleeding profusely from a hole and i have no idea if that's considered biologically accurate now Yes.
0: Yeah, i did not look that one up and i'm not totally sure how to google it quickly uh so i think uh, for this one we're just gonna take ishmael's word for it
1: yeah i i guess i mean he's definitely stabbed more whales than i have or <laughs> been closer to more whales being stabbed than i have so i certainly have no grounds to disagree yeah but the um, the idea is that you know most uh, most mammals, most land mammals, uh, Ishmael specifies, will have some kind of um, some kind of valve, some kind of uh, cutoff to reduce flow from most of their arteries. And you know it's also true that most places you can get a a stab wound as a human being, you won't necessarily bleed out if it's not a terrible wound the blood the blood loss will slow and lessen and it's only a few important arteries that just uh don't do that because they're major yeah so you know i'm i'm willing to believe that for my basic understanding of like not even first aid i don't know how to do first aid but like my basic understanding from like i don't know the brief section on first aid in my high school health class
0: sure uh so uh as the boats clothes on the whale um they are able to like see his distinct features a little more clearly and uh a couple of just really kind of gross and upsetting things about this whale yeah um, he yeah. doesn't have eyes
1: or at least he's blinded
0: yeah he has weird growths where his eyes should be so
1: it's, it's specifically. Um... As strange misgrown masses gather in the knotholes of the noblest oaks when prostrate, so like when an when no- oak has fallen and has weird stuff growing in its knotholes, so from the points which the whale's eyes had once occupied now protruded blind bulbs, horribly pitiable to see. So yeah, that's, that's a bunch of growths and, like, sores, and the whale probably can't see at all. And, uh, God, the next line, But pity there was none. For all his old age and his one arm and his blind eyes, he must die the death and be murdered in order to light the gay bridles and other merrymakings of men, and also to illuminate the solemn churches that preach unconditional inoffensiveness by all to all. Yeah. So, Ishmael is really, really hammering home this way in which, you know, a noble creature must be murdered in order to supply the industries and, like, livelihoods of man.
0: Yeah. Uh, and they're also able to see, as they close it on the whale, some kind of, like, weird growth.
1: I mean, it's, it's not really, it's, it's it's like a bulge. It's a discolored bunch of protuberance low down on the flank. And from the later description of an ulcerous jet shooting from it after it's stabbed, it sounds like it's, like, an ulcer or, a, 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 like, something that is swollen up under the skin.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, Flask... For some reason, uh, decides that's a great spot to well, lance the whale. He,
1: at this point, I don't think they're really trying to um, directly get its life spot. At this point, they're trying to tire it out by like, sanguinating it. So he's just like, yeah, I think that'll bleed good. <laughs> let me pr- let me just prick it once there. And Starbuck's just like, avast, there's no need of that. But humane Starbuck was too late. After all, Starbuck only does the necessary amount of violence to kill a whale.
0: Uh-huh. Um, so Flask does lance that uh, spot yep um, that
1: thing, and uh everyone immediately gets sprayed with blood,
0: yes, there is in fact, for whatever reason, a ton of blood in that spot um and uh it also the 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 whale like darts at the boats and capsizes flasks um uh, so uh but uh
1: that's that's his death he's uh he's there's no the um there's no striking the life spot really there's no um there's no uh spout of blood jet of blood from the spout to uh show that they've successfully pierced his heart the whale just dies of blood loss and exhaustion
0: yes um
1: god it's such a distressing description
0: yeah. Um, and then, uh, as the-, mm. as the bo- Another
1: little bit of language, if I may. Oh, sure. Um, he lay panting on his side, the whale, I mean, impotently flapped with his stumped fin, then over and over slowly revolved like a waning world. Like, it's yeah. like a sunset. It's like a dusk. As the whale's life is ebbing out, the water is presumably turning red around it. Um, the crew have all been splattered. And in fact, specifically being sprayed with gore is- the whale's death stroke. He never manages to like overturn a boat or attack anyone. No, he
0: he capsizes Flask's boat. Oh, you're
1: right. He does. He mars the bows. Yes, you're right. But nobody gets injured or really in serious problems.
0: Yeah. No. Fla- flask flask in, Flask's boat being capsized is not a real problem. Uh, yes.
1: I I just mean that the whale is is pitiable to the last. Yes. Absolutely. And the the major thing that he succeeds in is literally staining the crew with blood.
0: Yes. Uh, and then, uh, as the boats are, are gathered around the corpse of the whale and, and making fast to it, uh, they find that, uh, for some reason, um, it, is, it seems to be sinking, um, or making ready to sink. Uh, the, the body showed symptoms of sinking with all its treasures and rifled. I don't know what indications that it's going to sink, That would be other than literally it's starting to sink but yeah
1: i mean it's possible that it's like the um the tail sinking down below the water faster than it should um yeah bubbles coming up around it there's there's all sorts of things that could show that something is about to start sinking more rapidly
0: yes um and uh they uh they basically take measures to secure it more uh strongly um to avoid this
1: and to cut in as quickly as possible
0: yes um And, uh, so yeah, they do manage to get the the body back to the ship and start cutting in. Um, and it turns out, uh, when they're doing that, um, they find that there is, uh, the entire length of a corroded harpoon was found embedded in his flesh on the lower part of the bunch before described.
1: So the place where, um, where Flask, uh, you know, finished off the whale that caused that rush of blood was in fact a you know a growth of scar tissue or other or irritated tissue around a harpoon that had previously been there
0: which ishmael notes is like actually somewhat unusual in that like it is actually pretty common to find the stumps of harpoons in the skin of whales uh with with the with the skin just like totally with the flesh
1: perfectly healed around them is the line
0: yes exactly so like the fact that there is this sort of uh, growth and like irritated spot, uh is not actually what you would normally expect from a whale that has a harpoon stuck in it. Yeah.
1: So there's there's some other explanation was needed. Basically, the whale was old and sick in other ways, and that meant that the harpoons like created this bulge. Uh, yeah. Also, um, not far from that, uh, with the flesh perfectly firm around it, was a stone lance head. Yeah. So someone using stone tools had once tried to slay this whale, and that was back when the whale was young and strong, and so it healed back fully. Yes. Whereas now, in this, you know, this latter age of whaling, an iron, an iron harpoon was sunk in, and the whale couldn't simply you know, survive it. And I really like the, the implication of the age of the whale that gives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, this whale was hunted by, I mean, Ishmael suggests, by like, uh, pre-Columbian American whale hunters. Uh, yes, um, that—that's
1: his suggestion. Is that, and he suggests that it might have been like someone up in like the Pacific Northwest, because it's the Pacific Ocean that they're, well, they're hunting in.
0: I think that, um, I think that the in this case, Northwest may re- be referring to the Northwest Passage.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I think yeah. he
0: just actually means anyone on either of the northern coasts.
1: Okay. Yeah, that is what Power Moby Dick says. So. Yeah. Um, I I assumed that. You know, that was there was a specific region he was associated with, but no. I suppose that makes sense. Huh. Uh, you know, now I'm just curious whether is is whale hunting generally speaking a northern thing? Like, as you get closer to the equator, do people hunt whales less because there's just more sources of food? Yeah. Also, I it's also possible that whales just surface more up in the north.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh certainly as far well, hmm. So I was just thinking to myself, because I, I remember the other day looking around on Wikipedia for, like, what were the first societies to engage in, like, conservative whale yep. hunting. And uh, there's a, a there's the possibility that it was the Basques?
1: Oh, right. They have their—well, yeah, that's the—I the, remember talking about this. It's The Basques may have done, like, industrial-scale, like, you know, production of trade goods-level whale hunting, but a lot of other societies had long before that been doing, like— you know if a whale comes in near your shore you head out in small boats and see if you can't get food for a stupidly long period of time whereas the Basque, were the bass were actually hunting whales for oil earliest
0: yes that's true um
1: like so the the hypothetical uh i mean not hypothetical we know that pre-columbian societies did hunt whales and i think as far as i know they were mostly northerly societies but again i might just not know about um
0: equatorial whale hunters exactly yeah i yeah, we'd have to go look at a bunch of stuff on Wikipedia, and, you know, who knows exactly how reliable Wikipedia is for this information. We, uh, uh last night Ben and I went on a Wikipedia dive trying to find out some information that was very tangentially related to some stuff in <sighs> yeah, a later I, chapter, and-
1: I'll be honest, looking back on that, that was a huge waste of time.
0: <laughs> it kind of was, yeah.
1: We did not need to clarify the- something that is not even going to come up in the podcast because it turned out to be- utterly irrelevant
0: yeah we yeah anyway um
1: beware wikipedia ye young sub subs
0: (laughs) yes uh anyhow um so uh the whale sinking yes the whale is sinking and the and the whale being like in order to prevent the sinking they have attached the whale to the pequod with extremely strong like chains and cables uh but as the whale is just the body is determined to sink Uh, It is now healing the Pequod over.
1: Yes, it's... The whale is quickly becoming too dense. Uh, They can't even... um, (laughs) Ishmael describes it as a sudden stop was put to further discoveries. And also, what other marvels might have been rummaged out of this monstrous cabinet? There is no telling. Like the idea that this ancient whale has strange secrets and thing and treasure such as that ancient uh, iron and that ancient lance um, that could be discovered if one... uh, one rummaged around in it but now it's taking them all to the bottom of the sea uh and unfortunately uh the chains are fast on the whale and the whale has sunk enough that its um its extremities its flukes are under the water too far for anyone to go down and uh, or you know with a pole, unhook the chains
0: i i thought so you're you're totally right that the situation is making it impossible to, like, cast off the chains in the normal way. But I thought that what was being suggested was that um, it was not possible to cast them off on the ship.
1: It's also not, impo- not possible because they're too tight on the ship. Yes. Yes, the, um, uh, then when the command was given to break clear from it, such was the immovable strain upon the timber heads to which the fluke chains and cables were fastened that it was impossible to cast them off. Meantime, everything in the Pequod was a slant.
0: And uh, this is kind of Starbuck's fault, um, in that Starbuck was determined to try to process this whale until the last possible second.
1: Yep, hung on to it to the last. Hung on to it so resolutely, indeed, that when, when at length the ship would have been capsized, if still persisted in locking arms with the body.
0: Yeah, so uh, they, they are able to get the—they they do manage to get the body loose, but only by the expedient of uh, actually cutting the chain.
1: Yes, Uh, with a
0: hatchet, uh, which of course Queequeg does.
1: Yeah, well, Queequeg is told, um, run one of you for a prayer book and a penknife and cut the big chains by, as always, sarcastic stub. And Queequeg says, knife? Aye, aye. And grabs, like, the big carpenter's hatchet and runs at it. Once again, every time there is some kind of disaster that can be solved by someone running at it with a sharp object, Queequeg is your man.
0: Yeah, 100%. Like,
1: boarding sword, hatchet... Uh, Harpoon Queequeg is absolutely here To stab and smack things And save lives
0: Yep Uh, And uh, he doesn't have to Like cut all the chains He like He manages to uh, Like make a dent In the biggest chain And then the strain That it's under Makes it snap And then everything snaps Yeah Um,
1: With a terrific snap Every fastening went adrift The ship righted The carcass sank Also I really enjoy The spelling of carcass That's C-A-R-C-A-S-E
0: yeah, I don't think that's prona- I don't think that's pronounced differently. It's just carcass. Yeah, probably. Um, but yes, uh...
1: carcase. <laughs> Anyways, also I like this little note that um, many of the ivory inlays of her bulwarks and cabins were started from their places by the unnatural dislocation when the sh- the ship is so strained and bent that wood is starting to bend enough to pop the uh, more rigid ivory sections out of it.
0: Yeah. Uh. And uh, Israel goes on to explain to us that, um, you know, this body sinking is pretty unusual, but it's also not like it's a known phenomenon, but it's an unexplained one.
1: Yeah, it's uh. and it's also, it's not something you ever expect a given whale to do, even an old, uh, weird one. He says, you know, If the only whales that thus sink were old, meager, and broken-hearted creatures, their pads of lard diminished and all their bones heavy and rheumatic, then you might with some reason assert that this sinking is caused by an uncommon specific gravity in the fish so sinking, consequent upon this absence of buoyant matter in him. Which is really Ishmael saying, like, Three sentences worth of words where one would do. Yeah. Uh, but, it, it, but, as he says, it is not so. For young whales in the highest health and swelling with noble aspirations, prematurely cut off in the warm flush and may of life, with all their panting lard about them, even these brawny, buoyant heroes do sometimes sink. Which I gotta say, this is just the chapter for making us feel bad about killing whales.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh. <sighs> Yeah, and the only uh, the, the only thing Ishmael can say about, like, which whales are more or less likely to sink is that uh, it is particularly rare among sperm whales. It's much more common among right whales.
1: Um, <sighs> yep. Uh, he argues this might be because right whales have more bone per whale. Mm-hmm. Um, he also talks about how... Um, Whales, even if a whale sinks, they will often rise again when gases, uh, fester in the corpse. Yeah. Um, and so when hunting right whales, um...
0: Well, specifically, uh, the, the shore whaling, which is to say, we talked about this earlier, the practice of, uh, hunting whales that come near the shore.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then just taking off in boats rather than having a full ship for processing the whale.
0: Yeah, which is apparently something that happens among the bays of New Zealand. Yep. Um... when when a whale seems to sink They just fasten buoys to it So that when it rises again They'll just be able to see where it is
1: Yes And I'm assuming that It being in the bays of New Zealand Is important because If it sinks deep enough The buoy will also be lost It's not like the buoy's going to hold the whale up Yeah um, Whereas if it's in a bay it's po- It might be possible to have Enough rope to uh, That it, even if the whale sinks to the bottom The buoy can still be uh, bobbing But that's my entire conjecture Yeah Uh uh and uh so the whale is lost
0: yep and Just uh burp, 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 burp. not long after that uh the um the pequad the pequad's masthead sight that the young is lowering again yeah uh, but <sighs> the only the only spout in sight was that of a finback belonging to the species of un- uncapturable whales because of its incredible power of swimming Nevertheless, the finback spout is so similar to the sperm whale's that by unskillful fishermen it is often mistaken for it. Uh, uh, so yeah. yeah,
1: so now the Virgin, um, you know, crowding all sails, four ke- all four keels from the ship and the boats uh, in motion, um, disappear far to leeward, still in bold, hopeful chase, pursuing a finback, which, as we have been assured, they will never catch.
0: Yeah. And
1: the, uh, do you want to read the last sentence of the chapter?
0: Yeah. Oh, many are the Finbacks, and many are the Derricks, my friend. Ah. Uh,
1: the the Derrick of the Virgin and the Ahab of the Chad.
0: There's only so many times you can make that joke on this podcast. Yeah, but... that
1: was the last one.
0: Yeah, it's true. We finished this chapter so I just,
1: fun. I really wanted to say the Derrick of the Virgin and the Ahab of the Chad, having established the joke earlier. Uh-huh. I feel I did it well.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's this chapter. Yep. Poor, the poor crew of the Jungfrau.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're clearly not meant to have much sympathy for them in being, uh, bad at whaling.
0: Like, yeah, I get it, they're bad at their jobs, but that doesn't mean that, like, their existence isn't hell.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the they're being used as a general figure for fools chasing false hopes. Yeah, yeah. And I gotta say, that's an interesting thing to put in a book in which, you know, Ahab is chasing something that may or may not be impossible. Yeah. But he's chasing it in a very different way. He's not full of overconfidence. He's, you know, mad Ahab, moody and broody and intense.
0: And and he knows his enemy, you know? Like the, yeah, yeah. The distinctive thing here, I think, about uh, the Jungfrau and Derek is that they just don't really understand what they're doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah. Those German whalers, am I right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, so let's uh, let's go to the next chapter. Yep. Chapter 82, The Honor and Glory of Whaling, uh, which starts with just another classic Ishmael thing. Yeah,
1: I gotta say, if I hadn't already uh, hole-in-one the Ishmael is bad at storytelling, <laughs> here's him arguing for it.
0: There are some enterprises in which a careful disorderliness is the true method.
1: Yeah, and like, look, okay, I get it, Melville. You're cute, you're doing, you're doing something very on purpose to produce this book, but Ishmael, get your shit together. This is not a careful disorderliness. This is just chapters happening whichever order you want.
0: Yeah. Oh. Uh, so at this point in the book, uh, Ishmael is kind of like, you know, as I'm thinking about whaling... Uh, I'm really realizing that, like, lots of the, the demigods and heroes and, <laughs> and prophets of history were actually whalers, if you think about it. Yeah, that is
1: that is absolutely <laughs> what's going on here. Also, I do love that he just starts with, there's some enterprise which a careful list is the true method, and then immediately doesn't explain that or say why that's the case. Just say, the more I dive into whaling, the more impressive I think of the fraternity of whalers going back in time. Whalemen really are cool. And it's like, <laughs> Ishmael, you showed your hand a little, buddy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, there are basically a number of, you know, uh, legendary figures. um...
1: Who at one point fought a sea monster. That's it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Or, like, encountered a sea monster.
1: (laughs) Or were, you know, uh, broadly comparable to a sea monster.
0: Yes. So, he starts with what I think is actually probably his least arguable example, uh, which is Perseus. Uh, Because, you know, in the... Greek mythological story of, uh, Perseus and Andromeda, um, Perseus, uh, comes upon Andromeda, who has been chained to the rocks to be eaten by a sea monster as a a sacrifice to, you know, quell that sea monster's wrath. Um, and the sea monster in this case, okay, it is very often depicted as like a scaly fish thing.
1: Serpent, a dragon, and, and anything but a whale.
0: However, the sea monster is called Cetus. Mm,
1: which, which is where we get cetacean.
0: Yeah, so I don't actually, I, I think of all the sea monsters of, of history and myth that Ishmael well,
1: you know, What about the one in the, uh, the, in the uh, Pontipus? Was that was that it the um the one that uh, the bishop wrote about? Okay, yeah. That he was like, was that Ishmael was so certain must be an actual literal whale?
0: Right. I guess I'm just saying I think that it is not unreasonable to say Cetus is supposed to be a whale because of the name.
1: Yeah, that's that's fair. Or whales are named after Cetus either way. Um, and yet he does also have some other information, such as, for example, uh, I let no man doubt this Archite story, which I'm assuming means like you know pre-antediluvian or
0: no it's uh it's actually just based on, there's a city called arca
1: oh okay um, never mind i misinterpreted that for in the uh for an ancient the ancient joppa now jaffa on the syrian coast in one of the pagan temples there stood for many ages the vast skeleton of a whale which the city's legends and all the inhabitants asserted to the identical bones of the monster that perseus slew uh
0: and this by the way he does have like a uh, The incident that he's describing has, um, a specific citation in classical literature. So, when the Romans took Joppa, the same skeleton was carried to Italy in triumph. That, I think that probably really happened. Uh, what PowerMovieDick.com says is, A politician named Marcus Aemilius Scaurus brought sea serpent bones from Joppa to Rome in 58 BC. Okay,
1: but do we know what those sea serpent bones actually were?
0: Yes. So, now I'm going to read to you from, uh... Pliny the Elder's natural history. Sure, not in to argue is, with Pliny. Which is where we get this. Um, and, and, and to be clear, I believe Pliny the Elder, this is not a case of, like, Herodotus writing about places he's never sure, been. Sure, sure, yeah. This is, like, a relatively recent and, and familiar event for Pliny. Sure,
1: sure.
0: M. Scaurus, in his idol ship, exhibited at Rome, among other wonderful things, the bones of the monster to which Andromeda was said to have been exposed, and which he had brought from Joppa, a city of Judea. These bones exceeded 40 feet in length, and the ribs were higher than those of the Indian elephant, while the backbone was a foot and a half in thickness.
1: So- That does sound plausibly like a whale.
0: Yeah, I don't think it is- Me
1: thinks it's something
0: like a whale. Like, it sounds like there were actually some giant bones at the city of Joppa that were brought to Rome that could have been whale bones.
1: But what if they were dinosaur bones? Just saying.
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, but you know, whale bones are probably the most reasonable explanation for that, especially if they were not, like, stone, uh, petrified. So, yeah, um...
0: And it does seem like the legend was, in fact, that these were the bones of the monster that, uh, Perseus slew.
1: Yeah, so, you know, that... Yes, I think it is very well argued that at least, according to the people of Joppa, Sadus was a whale... And that would explain how... That specific connection might even explain how cetacean became the term for whales and whale-alikes.
0: Yep. Uh, You know, whale
1: likes Or the less-known... You know, dolphins, it's better to call them, like, a whale light Because they have some of a whale's mechanics, but not (laughs) all of them.
0: You dork. Um, So, uh, his next example... (laughs) Uh, You know, I I was... I was...
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I. please I, go on.
0: I was explaining how I think the idea of Perseus as a whaler is relatively defensible, primarily in order to set up that most of the rest of these examples are a lot more dubious. For example, the next one, St. George and the Dragon. <laughs> uh, which Ishmael basically asserts with what I consider to be no solid basis at all. Oh
1: yeah, no. Um, the... That the
0: dragon in that story was a whale.
1: Yeah, no, his his argument is, uh, thou art as a lion in the waters and as a dragon of the sea, saith Ezekiel, hereby plainly meaning a whale. <laughs> like, like, just the fact that at some point dragons are associated with the ocean in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, uh, means that he's like, and obviously this must be a whale, because what else could be in an ocean that is cool?
0: <laughs> yes, he's basically saying that, uh, In many old chronicles, whales and dragons are strangely jumbled together and often stand for each other. So he's like, all right, dragon might mean whale in some circumstances. And uh, wouldn't it just be cooler, guys, if St. George had killed a whale and not like some kind of serpent?
1: Well, specifically, a crawling reptile of the land, any man may kill a snake, but only a Perseus, a St. George, a coffin have the heart in them to march boldly up to a whale. And I gotta say, Ishmael's intentionally assuming that it has to be like a normal snake like that this was just an adder or something as opposed to like you know if you imagine a snake the size of a whale ishmael i'm pretty sure that would also require a lot of courage
0: yeah and you know i think this kind of this does fit with like the general thing that he is sort of trying to do in this chapter which is to historicize these legends yes and... he's
1: extremely euhemeristically, except for a bit with saint george that will happen in like five seconds
0: uh yes um Also, I do just want to mention that when he says coffin, he's referring to the coffin family of whalers who are sufficiently famous that they've got a Wikipedia page and they also... That's pretty cool. ...came up earlier in the book. I want to say the, um, like the innkeeper at the place Mm. where he stayed was Peter Coffin.
1: Oh, yes. Yo, I remember Peter Coffin. I remember that. So... Yes. Um... God, now I remember that there's some obnoxious Twitter person named Peter Coffin. I don't know anything about that. Please do not at me. Um, (laughs) I just remembered it suddenly like, oh, God, the blue bird. It haunts me. But um, so one thing I do want to say here is that, well, one thing I want to do is, have we defined euhemerism on this Uh, podcast No, I don't
0: think we've actually used that term before, but it is highly relevant to this chapter and kind of to Ishmael's method in general. So please do define it.
1: Uh, So I may be... I'm not a classicist, so I may be slightly, uh, simplifying this, but basically the euhemerism was a school of historical thought that emerged, uh, in, uh, antiquity, actually, and has still con- continues to be useful as a term to describe a certain tendency in thinking about history, which is the idea that all myths can be broken down into events that would be mundane and comprehensible from the perspective of, like, people now. Like, and they all have some kind of basis in fact. So, for example, the simple Euhemerist sort of example is Jupiter or Jove or Zeus was a king who was very powerful, who conquered other kings and overthrew his father, who was Cronus or... Uh, um, Saturn. Saturn. Thank you. I almost said Uranus, and I would have felt very silly if I did that. Uh, yeah, that's the
0: that's the I know, previous... I know. That's
1: the sky in the previous generation. But the point being that it's interpreting myths as being biographical and historical just distorted by time another example would be um uh there's a very funny example i once saw of applying euhemerist methodologies to uh galactus from marvel comics to show how (laughs) this sort of works which is so galactus is a devourer of planets well planets is a term for wanderer in the old greek so maybe there was a large man in ancient Greece who is known for consume, for being a cannibal for like attacking and eating wanderers and uh, that is the origin of the story of Galactus who through the conflation of planets the, the moving stars and planets the wander the, like a literal traveler comes to have this mythological figure of a person who is a villain who eats planets and it's that's sort of the basic method which is saying Everything mythological has some basis in concrete fact. Nothing ever just got made up or was purely metaphorical. Rather, they are all distorted descriptions of actual history. And that's what Ishmael's trying to do here. He's trying to say, well, you know, I don't know any reptiles that are large and cool to fight. Therefore, St. George must have fought something large and cool to fight like a whale. And dragon might just be a term for whale. There are no mythical creatures, really. There's just... Various real animals understood different ways.
0: I also think it's worth mentioning that, like, the kind of euhemerist interpretations you're describing are willing to stretch the actual, like, um, the actual, like, events of the myths that they're trying to explain a lot further than Ishmael is willing to. Like, Ishmael is not trying to say—the thing that you gave—the example you gave of, like, saying Jupiter was, like, a mortal king— yeah. I think that is more of a departure from, like, the original myth than Ishmael does. Like, Ishmael is definitely not going to say St. George... Like, Ishmael would never say, for example, St. George did kill a regular uh, snake that was in some way dangerous to, like, a village, and then it became inflated by legend over time. Like, if the story says that George killed something that was huge and genuinely dangerous to a yeah, large he's area... Not, like.
1: He is, he is trying to build up something. So his euhemerism is, like, very heroic. But he is trying to say, well, what is a what is a reasonable thing that could have happened in history and been inflated? And his argument is, well, people do kill giant monsters. It's just that that's whales. Therefore, you can either save George killed a dragon or you can save uh, George killed a reptile. And of those two, uh, the one you can save is that George killed... A giant monster it just wasn't a reptile it was a whale like it's it's still the same basic methodology of this has to be something that makes sense to me as a thing that could happen in the world yes. and then interpreting that using that as the basis for how to construct a an account and again ishmael is not dedicated to this method as we will see in about five seconds again yeah. when he goes on about like you know the way uh saint george might have fought a whale on horseback which you know um God, he says, let not the modern paintings of this scene mislead us. And I'm like, I I don't think that the depictions of St. George on a horse fighting a dragon are all modern, Ishmael. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he also, you know, he says, uh, St. George's whale, uh, you know, you know, this was, it's, it looks like a griffin or a weird lizard thing because of the ignorance of the whale that we've seen in other artists, um, you know, uh, uh, the true form of the whale was unknown to artists, and considering that, as in Perseus's case, St. George's whale might have crawled up out of the sea on the beach, and considering that the animal ridden by St. George might have been only a large seal or sea or, or seahorse. And, like, at that point, you've abandoned euhemerism entirely to say, yes, St. George did ride out to fight a whale on a seal or seahorse, because that's what you'd need to fight a whale.
0: <laughs> yes, like, I, I think that that is, uh, that is kind of what I mean in the sense that, like, uh, Ishmael is still going to be very literalist about this. Like, St. George has to have ridden something.
1: Yes. Uh. (laughs) Or, you know, have been on a beach, in which case he was killing a beached whale, but I think Ishmael's sort of flinching from that, because it's really unimpressive. You're like, yeah, I mounted up my my horse, I steadied my lance, and I charged the large, blubberous animal slowly dying on the beach, finishing it off.
0: Yeah, like, uh, uh, something that I think is very clear throughout this chapter is that Ishmael is... uh, desperately laying tracks ahead of him to try to make his arguments that, you know, that these legendary heroes were whalers and that therefore all of their legendary heroism applies to whaling. And, you know, as he's doing this, by the way that he's trying to justify that they were whalers, he's actually kind of taking away significantly from the legendary heroism. So he
1: has to build that back up.
0: Exactly, and like it, it does not form a coherent whole.
1: Yeah, I do love his his his, his like uh, description of his own model and method um, as being like the um, the story of the of Dagon in the yes, Bible.
0: Um, I'll just read this. In fact, placed before the strict and piercing truth. This whole story, uh, the story of George and the Dragon, will fare like that fish, flesh, and foul idol of the Philistines, Dagon by name, who being planted before the Ark of Israel, his horse's head, and both the palms of his hands fell off from him, and only the stump or fishy part of him remained. Uh,
1: Which is, you know, part of the, the biblical story of Dagon is that everything but the, the fish section uh, fell off of the half-fish god Dagon when, uh, confronting the ark at least that's what i remember of it and so his, he's claiming that all of the fantastical and unreasonable parts are falling away revealing the whale fish tail that remains the tail of whales you might say
0: yeah um yeah uh it, it 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 looks like uh just looking at the um the text of this passage in uh first samuel chapter five Um, there's this text that specifically says that only the fish parts of Dagon remain. Yeah, I
1: think that might be more tradition, because it is tradition that says Dagon is, like, half fish. And apparently the head and both the palms of his hams were cut off, and, like, the, you know, the idol, the statue, had fallen down. This is after just leaving the Ark and the statue in the temple overnight, which implies that, at least to me, uh... An angel or god just sort of climbed out of the ark and had a, a fist fight with the uh, the statue, and <laughs> then only one of them wins. Yeah. Because I, that is in the style of the uh, the miracles of that, like, sort of period of fucking with Philistines.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a reasonable way to imagine it. Uh, certainly, I, th- I feel like that's the way that Ishmael might imagine it. <laughs> yeah, I think...
1: Hmm... Would Ishmael imagine a brawny, a- yes, it would, because it would allow him to imagine a man with, like, really rippling muscles and pure angelic affect.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think it's very easy for me to imagine Ishmael imagining, like, a, just a really handsome renaissance angel descending from the sky to beat up this, like, uh, chimeric Dagon.
1: Well, actually to beat up a whale.
0: <laughs> yes! <laughs> right, of course! <laughs> oh, God.
1: Uh... God, he then goes on to argue that whalers should have the order of St. George, not knights and nobles, because really, St. George was a whaleman. Yep. yep. Uh, so we are much better uh, entitled to that. And let them never eye an Nantucketer with disdain. This is—so oh, much of this is just feeling insecure about whalers. Yeah, yeah. God, it's—imagine Ishmael on Tumblr. First of all, sorry for that. And second of <laughs> all, imagine Ishmael on Tumblr making, like— pro-whaler posts and whaler appreciation posts and just like you know actually if you think about it tumblr posts about whalers yeah i mean that's this book mostly yeah more or
0: less uh so let's uh, move on to the next example which uh uh his next example is hercules um this is referring to what i think could reasonably be described as a pretty obscure uh story about Hercules. i
1: certainly had never heard it
0: yeah so this is the idea that hercules uh Killed a sea monster to which a a princess was being exposed in basically an exact parallel to the Perseus and Andromeda story. Oh, yes,
1: because I am not hugely surprised at the possibility that at some point Hercules did everything that every other uh, Greek hero did in some version. Because Hercules is one of those, like, great attractors of mythology where, like, you just attribute everything to them, both because they're, you know, an important heroic figure and also because they, uh were a, um, major, like, cultural figure for your particular state, claiming descent from them. I know that, uh, Sparta did, for example.
0: Yeah, uh, so the idea that Herseus, that, that Hercules...
1: <laughs> Herseus and Hercules,
0: Jeez. <laughs> the idea that Hercules, uh, slew a sea monster, saving a princess specifically a trojan princess oh. uh this this exists in a number of texts it seems uh-huh. to be relatively well attested yeah yeah i guess i
1: mean co- well attested is a hard thing to well, say about my it.
0: point is just that it it's it's clearly a myth that existed that lots of texts that yes. record myths yeah, yeah mention also
1: this is the goofiest thing but that picture you've got on a website open of like one of those uh red and black vases um urns i guess uh with uh a very cool sea monster fighting what i'm told is hercules i'm pretty sure that disney's hercules used that specific sea monster design in a brief section in zero to hero which as a child i watched i watched that movie a number of times as a child and therefore have a strong memory of the the imagery there and i was just immediately like oh yeah Herc strangled that thing and tied it in a knot in the in the video
0: <laughs> so anyways um... it's
1: a it's a good sea monster and it doesn't look even a little like a whale
0: So uh, part of our extensive research last night, and that I think was actually relevant and worthwhile, was I was trying to find precedent for the idea that Ishmael mentions here that not only did Hercules fight a sea monster, but he was swallowed by it. Um, And I could only find one actual classical text that suggests this. And that classical text uh, does not refer to its primary figures by name, for the most part, which made it very difficult to, like, Google. Uh, But I did finally find, this is from something called the Alexandra, by, well, supposedly by Lycafron, although also possibly this is one of the Uh, category of classical texts which are referred to as being by pseudo the author's name so this is supposedly by pseudo Lycophron, which means like there is a uh, um, like there exists a general sort of uh, you know received wisdom from like antiquity that this is by Lycophron, but modern research suggests that it couldn't actually have been by that particular historical personage so Pseudo-like of Franz Alexandra says that, um, you know, that, that Hercules fought a sea monster to save the princess Hesione, uh, quoting here, but in place of the woodpecker, that is to say Hesione, he swallowed in his throat a scorpion, Hercules. Uh, so that is, that is all the suggestion I was able to find that the sea monster actually swallowed Hercules, and- uh, I guess by implication, Hercules killed it from inside of it. Yeah, um. I think it,
1: it's very interesting to me that you tend to default to Hercules, whereas I default to Heracles and had to repeatedly, while we were doing this section, be like, "No, no, he's saying Hercules. I should say Hercules."
0: I think that's funny because you, <laughs> you're the one who has the Disney's Hercules in your head, but also, I yeah, just...
1: but that's a very different character. Like that's the thing, Disney's Hercules is a really different character from Greek mythological Heracles to me because he's a. 90s soft boy with muscles.
0: Sure. I, I, I... Soft boy? I
1: mean, he's he's any- not, not actually a soft boy, no. What I mean is that he's like a nice, kind of nerdy guy who then, who whose immense strength does not in any way make him a jock. They're very clear about that, and then he has to learn to be a jock over the course of the movie, and this causes him to uh, try to pretend to be someone he's... Every 90s Disney movie has the same plot. You pretend to be someone you're not, that's bad, you embrace who you are, that's good, and lets you defeat the villain.
0: Sure. Uh, anyway, um... The reason I'm saying Hercules is because that's what Ishmael says. Yeah, um, that, that, I,
1: I, that's what I meant. That's what I assumed.
0: Anyway, uh, uh, what I think is interesting about how Ishmael talks about this is that he's like, well, I was really conflicted in my mind as to whether I should count him as a whaleman because he was just uh, swallowed by a whale, um, which is...
1: Well, he, you know, he's just using this to set up a—he's he's, he's laying himself up. He's saying he's making the least strong argument or the most hesitant argu- argument for saying that uh, Heracles is, uh, is a whaleman because he wants to sort of bring you with him on this, like, you know— I, maybe, you know, he didn't really, he didn't harpoon the beast, he didn't necessarily kill his whale, but he was sort of an involuntary whaleman, he was carried by it. I, I think it counts. And if I can have Heracles, I can have Jonah!
0: Yes. Um. uh. (laughs) Like,
1: specifically, um, certainly they are very similar. If I claim the demigod then, why not the prophet? It's like, oh, this is what you were doing. This is, this is the point of including Hercules here.
0: Yeah. Uh, And, by the way, uh, what Ishmael claims here, by the best contradictory authorities, this Grecian story of Hercules and the whale is considered to be derived from the still more ancient Hebrew story of Jonah and the whale. And that is actually, uh, I I did find some, like, suggestion that, yeah, people maybe think that pseudo lycophron was influenced by the Jonah and the whale story. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. I will also say, the best contradictory authorities is a great term. (laughs) (sighs) I'm certain what he means is authorities who are being, like, uh, contrary or suggesting something that, uh, is, you know, um, uh, you know, it's kind of awkward or
0: counterintuitive, you know, maybe
1: not necessarily counterintuitive because, you know, one's obviously older than the other. We know that, but I think it's more that he's just like, they're saying that this story wasn't about Hercules at all. <laughs> they're saying that this text doesn't apply. So he's
0: the idea of people saying, perhaps this text was influenced in a sort of, like, literary or mythological it Im- fashion. It
1: implies that the euhemerism doesn't apply. Maybe, maybe, Heracles was never there. Or at least, <laughs> like, the even the euhemerist Heracles never got swallowed by a whale, and that won't do at all.
0: Yes. Like, the um, idea that
1: mythology is just mythology is, 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 like, that it's just stories, or that, it, just stories is not what I mean that it is not fundamentally about recounting a historical event just through a certain frame, but that it is, uh, instead about, you know, understanding the universe. A constructed fiction, a work of art, anything like that, uh, is not something Ishmael is a big fan of.
0: Yes. Uh, I do think that it's also possible that he means the best authorities who contradict each other.
1: That is also possible.
0: Um. Now, let's get to the last one.
1: Ah, yes.
0: Uh, so, uh... Nor do heroes, saints, demigods, and prophets alone comprise the whole role of our order. Our grand master is still to be named. For like royal kings of old times, we find the headwaters of our fraternity in nothing short of the great gods themselves.
1: Yep. Uh, Uh, Specifically, um, he's talking about the Matsya avatar again. The um, Avatarana of Vishnu, in which Vishnu takes the form of a giant fish or depending on the version from the piranhas because this is actually where we went down the wikipedia hole yeah for a, a thing connected to this um but i now know more than i expected to about the matsya avatar as coming into this uh recording session not like an expert but uh wikipedia holes they're fun um but the important part is that uh in his version of the story vishnu um becomes a uh becomes a fish to go down to the bottom of the cosmic ocean to find the Vedas where they have uh, been resting to bring them back up so that Brahma can begin the creation of the universe um which
0: well it sounds in in Ishmael's version like it's Vishnu who's creating the universe with the aid of the Vedas
1: yes that that's what I meant sorry no no
0: you you said that Brahma I I don't actually know what is said so
1: no it's when Brahma this is what Ishmael says when Brahma or the god of gods Uh, according to the Shastr, which that's a whole little thing that we should explain, resolved to recreate the world after one of its periodical dissolutions, Um, he gave birth to Vishnu to preside over the work, but the Vedas, or mystical books, whose perusal would seem to have been indispensable to Vishnu before beginning the creation. Okay, yes. so he's framing it as Vishnu is creating the world, or... or, It's
0: like Brahma created Vishnu so that Vishnu could preside over the work, i.e. direct the the creation, you know. I, I think maybe there's the implication... Uh, in the way that Ishmael thinks about it, that Vishnu is like an architect, uh, coming up with the plans for the world and then having a bunch of, uh, assim- I,
1: I have to wonder if, I think it's, uh, Vishvakarman, which is the, um, the, specifically the architect of the Devas in, um, in a number of Vedic sources, I think Vedic, maybe, maybe later. Anyways, again, not an expert on this, just kind of enthusiastic about it, um, So, it's possible he's conflating that concept, because architecture is important. In fact, the Matsya Purana, or the ancient text of Matsya, that has the earliest known version of the Matsya story, where Vishnu takes the form of a fish, um does in fact have an entire section dedicated to architecture, which I thought was very funny in this context, uh, but it's not one of the Vedas. Um,
0: Yeah, we should finish, uh, or or, uh, not finish, but include the next clause of the sentence, which I thought was very funny. Speaking of the Vedas whose perusal would seem to have been indispensable to Vishnu before beginning the creation, and which therefore must have contained something in the shape of practical hints to young architects. Yes,
1: yeah, so the only real information we're getting out of this here is that, that I think is is entirely true and useful is that uh, uh, a number of piranhas include uh, useful hints to young architects who might want to design temples. <laughs> like, that that's an actual thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know, also I assume in—I I imagine— that the slightly more kind of rarefied version of the idea that Ishmael is suggesting here is that the Vedas are necessary to creation, right? Yeah. That, like, there is good reason why Vishnu needed to retrieve the Vedas before beginning creation.
1: Yes. Um. I mean... Not yes, necessarily. There's, a, there's, a number of, there's a number of reasons. There's also, it's worth mentioning that the Matsya story has a number of versions, some of which are that Matsya has to go down to the bottom of the cosmic waters to retrieve the Vedas. Some are that the Vedas have been stolen from Brahma by demons who are constantly doing this, and Matsya had to go and retrieve that from demons. And one version, which is the in the Matsya Purana, which is this, uh, you know, very early version, which is much more of an arc story or a deluge story where uh, the Vedas are just, Were hell humans had copies of them prior to the uh the you know flood and Matsya had to Matsya warned uh the king who was to be Manu, the first man of the next age or next creation. I'm getting things slightly confused. It turns out it's a long tradition with a lot of uh, a lot of concepts in it. Um, so the Vedas were like on the you know on the ship that survives the flood, yeah. Um, so there's a number of different takes on this,
0: yes. Um and, uh, uh, but, of course, Israel's conclusion from this is, A, as he said before, Matia is a whale, because, because he's a big fish.
1: Yes, uh, which, in the Matia pirana. Matsya starts off as a small fish and then like there's a classic sort of folkloric shape to the story where the righteous king who is going to be the person who survives the flood um, Finds this fish in a river and the fish asks him for protection So he takes him and puts him in like a jar and then the fish says but this jar isn't big enough It's like well, okay, I guess it's not puts him in a larger jar This jar isn't big enough and each time it turns out the fish is much larger than the container up to and including the ocean and that's when uh, the king realizes, oh, you're god, aren't you?
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, so, you know, by Ishmael's consistent argument that any sufficiently large fish has to be a whale.
1: I just, I like the image of a tiny little whale that someone, like, found in a river and took home in a jar. <laughs> I think that's very, it's a very cute Vishnu to me.
0: Yes. Uh. Anyway, Um. so... Uh, assuming we accept Ishmael's claim that, uh...
1: Vishnu became incarnate in a whale.
0: Yes. Was not this Vishnu a whaleman then? Even as a man who rides a horse is called a horseman?
1: It's a lot. Like, it's...
0: Ishmael, you cannot even claim that Vishnu in any sense fought, fought a, a whale. whale. You are literally just saying that he was a whale and that counts.
1: <laughs> yep, he was closely associated with whales. Had whaleness was involved... <laughs> Yes, but yeah, no, the um, yeah, it's always interesting to see Ishmael and probably Melville's experience of non-Western traditions. Yeah, like in this case, I I mentioned the Shaster. I should get back to that. This oh yeah, this is a an English. Version of the word Shastra or which I believe I'm pronouncing more or less correctly I I hope I'm not screwing that up too much, which is effectively a manual or instruction book Uh, a a description I saw I think on Wikipedia was that um, a text that's called like the something Shastra can be compared to the English like suffix ology like you know This is a text on the study of so if it's a book titled biology It's you know, it's the study of life and so Uh, Shastra is often used just to denote this is a text for the study of you know the previous word in this title, and then this enters into English as the idea that a shastra is a um, or shaster as it looks like it maybe should be pronounced. I didn't look up how it would be pronounced in English because I don't really want to use this word. Um, Is a you know volume of commentary or knowledge and so on and. Maybe it's possible there's a specific Shastra that Melville might have had access to in some kind of translation, but he keeps treating it like the Bible, the Shastra.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it is most likely that whatever, I mean, we, we kind of looked into this before when we were talking in the images of Wales about yeah. uh, the image of the Matya avatar that Melville might have seen. It seems like the, the texts about Hinduism that, he would have had access to are very much english language uh collections and um like not even translations like uh, summaries summaries yeah Uh,
1: recountings yeah Yeah. that
0: clearly are drawing on many original sources and uh conflating them and yeah
1: figuring out which piranha um this version of the story originally came from that ishmael would have seen is why we went down a wikipedia hole
0: yes it it turns out that there are Multiple different stories about different avatars of Vishnu uh, retrieving the Vedas from
1: the cosmic waters from from the or co- from a demon who stole them and hid them under the cosmic waters, etc.
0: Yes, and in 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 some versions of the tale, the same name is used for a different avatar of Vishnu versus in a different story, that name is used for the demon who stole the this is the
1: thing we weren't going to get into, but we're getting into now. So the, We
0: don't need to talk about it. It's well, just, it was very confusing for us.
1: Yes, the, the specific thing is that the demon is described as, like, you know, having the head of a horse. And that's the, the name used for the demon. Specifically just means, like, you know, having the face of a horse. Horse-faced, horse-necked. And there is another uh, incarnation of Vishnu that I don't think is one of the ten that are usually sort of held up as the most important uh, uh Which is a horse avatar on or at least a horse headed one who has also in some versions of stories recovered the Vedas when stolen by various demons. So
0: yes. Uh, yeah. And this is where I was kind of saying like, maybe don't trust Wikipedia the most when it comes to perhaps especially non-Western, but just in general, like ancient texts and mythologies, because Wikipedia definitely left me under the impression that the, uh, that we were literally talking about Vishnu having played different roles in this myth in different accounts, and it, that's not what's happening here. It's just the, the name, or the even the epithet, maybe we should say, because... Yes. Uh, well, was... The
1: epithet was Hayagriva.
0: Yeah, Hayagriva. Was... I might be
1: mispronouncing that again. I don't know the correct orthography for scant Sanskrit. I used to know it slightly better, but I do not right now.
0: Anyway, uh, this is all totally irrelevant to me. This is Day. why we
1: went down a Wikipedia hole. It's fascinating, but it's... Like, he just throws in an entire other tradition that he's just, like, getting the slightest glimpse of through a crack in the wall. And is then like, and this proves whales in a very important way. And it's like, well, well, what does it actually say? What are you actually invoking here? And none of that is what Melville intended, because he definitely didn't have much better sources on this than Ishmael.
0: I also really enjoy the fact that in this, like, account of... Huh, you know what's interesting? He's not being yuhamorist about this at all.
1: Oh no, he's not.
0: He's not even trying to say like he's not trying to say Vishnu was like a real hero. He's not because I think it's very difficult to be yuhamorist in the way that Ishmael is about this story cuz yes. you have to explain away shapeshifting and yes. books being well, at the bottom of the ocean.
1: Incarnation, which is a little different. But well, yes. uh, the you, way you, that yes. he
0: puts it, it sounds like shapeshifting.
1: Yeah, that's 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 very fair. Um, but um
0: any, anyway uh, uh
1: also he has he has a number of the very straightforward like
0: actually you know what you're right he doesn't actually talk about it like shape-shifting oh, That's, okay. that was my problem because he says became incarnate in and then he talks about he compares it to writing so actually yeah Ishmael has a certain sense of incarnation as like
1: different from uh, from shape-shifting yeah yeah I I will say um he definitely has the sort of sense that one gets from a lot of 19th century accounts of Hinduism from, you know... uh, Westerners? Yeah, Westerners broadly. I I was going to say Westerners who are, like, interested in it and not necessarily, like, hostile to it, but who are also definitely, like, interpreting it into the modes of Christianity. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you have the the way the, uh, Tremurti or like, you know, sometimes called the, the Hindu Trinity that gets really interpreted into being very similar to the Catholic Trinity when it's yes. a very, you know, it's not totally dissimilar, but it is a very distinct theological construction, understanding of the universe. And, uh, you know, his idea that, um, you know, uh, he, you know, calls, uh, Brahma, the God of gods, um, when it's like, well, almost certainly if you talk to someone who you know cared a lot about uh, Vaishnavism, the specific position that Vishnu is the ultimate personality of the godhead um, in in Advaita Vedanta, then you're probably going to run into a little bit of a, a problem here with calling Brahma the god of gods. Like, there's yeah. different accounts give different deities importance or centrality or, you know, the idea that they are the ultimate personality of divinity as opposed to one of many shapes and forms and names. And... That's just not something that I think Ishmael or really Melville are all like intellectually prepared to understand by the documents they have access to about these traditions.
0: Yeah, I think that the way that this paragraph talks about Vishnu and Brahma, uh, it, it is basically portraying Brahma as God the Father and Vishnu as Christ. Because first of all, yeah, yeah, he, that's he, non. He calls Brahma the God of gods. Brahma creates Vishnu. And he also says that uh, the, the Shastr, uh gives us this divine Vishnu himself for our lord. Yes, so one of I... the
1: three persons in the godhead. So yes, it's it's very, it is very much, and again, I don't think we can blame Melville for this. No. I think this is absolutely how a, again, a sympathetic but not necessarily very informed uh, English reader would be introduced to, uh, you know, the various ideas of Hinduism.
0: Yeah, and, and like, I do think it's, it's, it is I think notable that in this chapter where he's going to so much trouble to attempt to historicize all these other stories he is basically willing to just give us this story of Vishnu in in its in in a mythological ish form and and from that be like look like Vishnu is God God became yeah, a whale <laughs>
1: yeah I mean I I think there might be a little bit of a slightly condescending uh, sort of levity about this mm. one where it's like well, you know, we don't necessarily believe this actually happened, but whereas with uh, the various mythological heroes, he has a little bit more historicizing to do because it's he wants to claim that these were at least, you know, I mean, he's still a bit flippant about, say, St. George riding a seahorse. So he's not completely, like, yeah. dedicated to these definitely happened, but he's doing a lot more to try and historicize them. And I noticed that they are also, you know, Western culture heroes. That's true. Whereas Vishnu... He's willing to just sort of let the question of whether or not Vishnu exists just sort of float.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's true. Um, and, I mean, yeah, it is It is interesting and, and complicated. Um, I, certainly there is a... Certainly if Ishmael can uh, leverage... Uh, Hindu stories and myths to prop up whaling, he's he, gonna do it. Yeah,
1: no, I, and I will say that I think that does give a good... I guess what I mean is mostly, I think he's trying to be, you know, ecumenical. Like, uh, not... Is that is that the term I want? Like, generally sort of accepting of... Yeah. ...of these, of these ideas. And he's trying to be, to present a more than simply Christian understanding of the world and of its theology in pursuit of his general themes of whales... But I do think that he is, you know, still ultimately very much anchored within his own culture. For all that Ishmael, let alone Melville, is, like, uh, trying to be accepting of what he calls the pagan, trying to be accepting of the the other. Although, there is sort of a weird thing here where I don't think that, um, I don't think that Romans would necessarily be pagan the way Queequeg is pagan to yeah. Ishmael. And I don't think that,
0: uh, I mean, he has often, in this book, talked about... Like Greek and Roman figures of antiquity as mm. pagans, he has used that term. For that pagans. is true. However, I, I definitely agree with you that there is a slight like he has he has talked about sometimes.
1: It's it's sometimes a very Robert E. Howard civilization and barbarism dynamic.
0: And and I think that often when he uses when he when he applies like he, he has sometimes called. Uh, classical heroes savages but i think he says that with irony
1: mm, yes he's he's using that to what i guess what i mean is when he compares quequeg to heracles or perseus it's to draw quequeg into the discursive frame of like glorifying yes and like sanctifying and saying this is a person who is part of civilization and who does great things for civilization and i think that on some level he's when he's talked about you know again very briefly about specifically hinduism and india it's much more in the like oh yeah no they're they're totally civilized they're you know they're part like they're not the vital force of like young queequegish cannibals they're established literate they've got their legends and stories that i'm bringing into my like biblical greco-roman tapestry
0: yeah yeah
1: I mean, obviously, there's entire reams to be written about how various forms of Orientalism function in this way. Because what I just described, the like, they are also a literate culture, but like one that's kind of passive or ancient, but not really dynamic, that is itself Orientalism in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, I would like to move on. Yes,
1: sorry. It's just fascinating. No, Whenever we is, have these little hints of things. It
0: is totally fascinating, but I think we have uh, tapped this well. And yes,
1: and, and then he ends by saying, Perseus, St. George, Hercules, Jonah, and Vishnu. There's a member role for you. What club but the Whalemans can head off like that?
0: Yeah. Uh, and so now you may have noticed that we kind of just barely touched on Jonah last chapter.
1: But we will not be allowed to continue without touching on Jonah.
0: <laughs> yes, because we need, to, we need to have a whole chapter expanding on Jonah historically regarded.
1: Ah, which so, is... Here's some euhemerism for you.
0: Yes, although this, this I think, is in many ways joke euhemerism.
1: Yes, like, his euhemerism here is paper thin because he really wants to just credit the story of Jonah as a miracle.
0: Yes, Like, so, it is a,
1: he, it's it's important to him symbolically, and he doesn't care if it's true.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm... Let's, get, let's talk about that yeah, when we yeah. get to the end of the chapter. So... Uh, so, Ishmael's like, all right, I mentioned the story of Jonah. However, some Nantucketers rather distrust this historical story of Jonah and the whale. Uh, so he- But then,
1: there were some skeptical Greeks and Romans who, standing out from the orthodox pagans of their times, equally doubted the story of Hercules and the whale, and Arian and the dolphin. And yet their doubting those traditions did not make those traditions one whit the less facts for all that.
0: Yeah, uh- Er
1: So- what does he mean by that? Sorry, sorry, sorry.
0: Well, I just wanted to mention that Arian and the Dolphin is about a, a poet who is uh, legendarily kidnapped by pirates and rescued by dolphins.
1: Yes. he. I believe he was thrown from the boat and uh, a dolphin carried him to shore.
0: Yeah. Anyway, yeah, what does he mean by that? Yeah,
1: so, like, the idea that they were— does not make those traditions one whit the less facts for all that. So I, there's a few ways you can interpret that. One is, I think, the slyest way, which is saying— Skepticism does not change what is actually true But does not state that those stories are necessarily true Merely that skepticism doesn't change Being skeptical or not doesn't change whether or not they occurred Yeah, it, so, it
0: doesn't make them less the facts Which is to say if they weren't facts it doesn't. They're
1: still not facts, yes yeah. So it's this like It's this sort of sly statement That sounds like he is endorsing uh, The stories of Hercules and the Whale And Arian and the Dolphin as he puts it But doesn't necessarily say that he's merely saying that he finds skepticism uninteresting or that skepticism does not actually achieve what it thinks it does skepticism thinks that it disproves or or undermines these things but if you're really a skeptic then you believe that something specifically happened and you still don't know what
0: yeah and i think he is also kind of alluding to the idea of you know uh a different kind of orthodoxy that might exist, in mm, which, yeah. which suggests in some ways that, like, you know... We
1: were just talking about pagan orthodoxies.
0: Right, so I think he's kind of suggesting, like, okay, just as there was a pagan orthodoxy in the time of the Greeks and Romans, which, uh, the extent to which that's yeah, 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 that's debatable, but... um I mean,
1: it certainly was the case that if you were in, like, Sparta, there were certain things you believed Hercules did...
0: Yes, it's just the way he's talking about it is is conflating a huge span not of time and place. many different cultures. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um uh but I think there is like a subtle implication that like oh, the orthodoxies of our times not that different. Uh
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's weird because he's very much dedicated to a lot of these old stories, but it's I think it's really what he's interested in is the dynamic between skeptics and holders of orthodoxy, more so than the um, than the literal truth of statements. Yes. At least for this particular section.
0: Yes. Yeah, so this entire most of this chapter is constructed as almost a kind of like uh, philosophical dialogue between one old Sag Harbor whaleman uh, who will be referred to as Sag Harbor throughout the chapter. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he went by that name, says yes. a parenthetical.
0: And. Sort of various like biblical commentators and scholars and and uh, clergymen, uh, who whose job it is to defend against this whaleman's criticisms of the story of Jonah.
1: Yes, various German exegetists and yes. so on.
0: So, all right, the first Sag Harbor's first objection is that his Bible shows the wh- the Jonah's whale having two spouts, which to Sag Harbor indicates that it has to be a right whale. Um. And right whales have very narrow throats. So because how could... they,
1: they eat Brit and yes. they have a uh, they have a, a baleen.
0: So how could the whale possibly have swallowed Jonah? Um,
1: and a uh, bishop responds that it is not necessary that we consider Jonah as tombed in the whale's belly, but is temporarily lodged in some part of his mouth.
0: Yeah, uh, which I, I think it's very funny that uh, the objection here is not, well, perhaps the picture in your Bible is incorrect (laughs) and it wasn't a right whale (laughs) but uh uh because i think the the way that this um back and forth is being constructed in this chapter ishmael is not trying to present and is not trying to make the jonah defenders present a single coherent jonah story
1: no they're just suggesting a number of possibilities any one of which would suffice to make the story fundamentally true
0: well, I would say the number of possibilities each of which answers these specific objections, mm. but there is no coherent story which actually answers all of the objections together. Well
1: there is one, but it's the one that uh, it's the one that does not involve an actual whale.
0: Well yes <laughs> but but the point being that like for example, he's having this argument about well, maybe he was just in the whale's mouth uh, but later discussions will suggest that, he wasn't even in a whale at all, and yes. so we are not trying to have all these answers coexist. coexist. Yes. Yes. Um, so
1: the second uh, suggestion is that the um, uh, Jonas should have been digested by the whale if he were in there for that long,
0: right? And so, like, that's the thing: is like, if we're accepting this in the mouth thing, that doesn't that that objection doesn't matter. Yes. Right. Uh, but he does make uh, a German exed- exegetist. Uh, answer, I'm
1: really proud that I got that one on the first try. I'm not <laughs> saying it again on this podcast.
0: Uh huh. He does. He he makes such a, a spurious figure. Answer that objection by saying uh, Jonah must have taken refuge in the floating body of a dead whale. Uh, or another answer to this possibly is that rather than actually being in a whale at all. Uh, hops, 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 hops,
1: hops, hops. Sorry, go on,
0: folks. There's cat happening. Um, <laughs> maybe Jonah just uh was uh saved by a ship with a whale figurehead uh which ishmael adds might have been called the whale uh which is like come on yeah
1: yeah that's
0: like the point I th- at which
1: they're like oh well maybe the whale was a term for a flotation device that that uh might have been thrown to him that would have allowed him to survive the storm
0: it's like i i feel like the thing about these answers is that you know, Ishmael is presenting them as defenses of the story of Jonah, but they are really not defending the story of Jonah at all, because if you say that Jonah wasn't, in fact, in In a
1: side fish, but was picked up by a boat...
0: Like, that's not the fucking story of Jonah!
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... Um, uh, Also, I just want to say that after Hobbes burst past, there was a Flurry of little, like, floating ginger cat hairs in the air that took, like, eight seconds to slowly drift to the ground. Like, he has a little <laughs> particle effect on him. Jeez. I love um, the cat so much.
0: Anyway, so the, the next objection, um, which, again, this is not really, uh, this is not really consistent with the, well, what if he was picked up by a boat? I, I mean... I'm not saying this objection doesn't work to the boat version, but um, it's still being framed as though, okay, what if he was literally picked up by a whale? Uh, This one is... Okay, Jonah was swallowed by the whale in the Mediterranean. Three days later, he was vomited up somewhere within three days' journey of Nineveh, uh, which is on the Tigris, and which is more than three days' overland journey away from the Mediterranean coast. So... How does that work? Yes. Uh, and Israel comes up with uh, just an incredible answer to this, which is, well, rather than being vomited up on the Mediterranean coast to the west of Nineveh, what if uh, the whale carried Jonah um, all the way around Africa, around yeah, the Cape yeah. of Good Horn, uh, up the Persian Gulf and Red Sea, and up the Tigris, all the way to Nineveh.
1: Yes, the Tigris, which is too shallow for any whale to swim in, and, uh, besides, this idea of Jonah's weathering the Cape of Good Hope at so early a day would rest the honor of the discovery of that great headland from Bartholomew Diaz, its reputed discoverer, and so make modern history a liar. Yes. Modern history is a liar sometimes.
0: (laughs) Yes, uh, and, and, uh, so this, uh, this, you know... The idea that, oh, well, uh, you could get to Nineveh by water from the Mediterranean if you went all the way around the Cape of Good yep, Hope yep, yep. is, like, that doesn't answer the objection of the, like, well, no, it's, time it's, of travel, It suggests it is
1: also being a miracle. Part of the miracle, a sub-miracle, is just making the whale fast.
0: Yes. Uh, so this this all leads into the, the last paragraph. But all these foolish arguments of old Sagharper only evinced his foolish pride of reason a thing still more reprehensible in him, seeing that he had but little learning except what he had picked up from the sun and the sea. As this is fundamentally saying that, like, you know, it is actually uh, impious to assert that you can... Fl- really? That's impious? No, it's impious.
1: Really? Wow. Yeah. I've been doing that one wrong for years.
0: Uh, anyway, to, to assert that you can, through reason and just, like, sort of basic knowledge of, like, the facts of the world, uh, argue against the statements of clergy and the the miracles that you are supposed to take on faith.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a little ironic or a little sarcastic here.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, also,
1: I want to point out that there was earlier a suggestion that whales, specifically Moby Dick, can travel suddenly incredible distances in the ocean through secret it would be so much easier just to say yes, there's a secret underwater passage between the Mediterranean and the um uh, and, you know, the seas around Dill Moon and, ti- and the mouth of the Tigris. Yeah. Like, that would be an answer that he has previously suggested in this book that would allow him to imply that that selfsame whale was Moby Dick.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And he didn't do this. Yeah. I'm just saying, he's not trying very hard.
0: I mean, yeah, fundamentally, I think the point of this chapter is to contrast the rational understanding of the world as acquired through whaling versus the... Kind of absurd arguments of biblical scholars.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably right. Uh, however, he does note that um, uh, there are various miracles connected to this, including claiming a there is a Turkish mosque built in honor of Jonah, in which mosque was a miraculous lamp that burnt without any oil.
0: Yeah, and this is uh, there's a little he describes this as being written about in Old Harris's Voyages, uh, which PowerMovieDick.com says, Melville is referring to a complete collection of voyages and travels edited by John Harris, Uh, but the volume where this mosque was mentioned is actually a general collection of the best and most interesting voyages and travels edited by John Pinkerton in 1811.
1: You gotta love publishers in the early 1800s. The best. (laughs) Definitely the best. You won't find better. Book.
0: Yes. So there does seem to have been an actual story collected by john pinkerton of a mosque dedicated to jonah whose lamp burnt without any oil
1: which he's not belaboring it but burning without any oil is very interesting in the context of whaling
0: yeah it definitely does seem like what you would expect as like a a a miracle in a whaling church kind of
1: yeah i mean yeah I i think that's fair also um Oh, I just wandered off very cutely, and now I, I, my, my mind just emptied.
0: Ben, our episode will be over soon, and you'll be able to play with your cat. Yep, yep. Staying Soldier on track. On. Staying
1: on track. Anyways, um, uh, so yes, this devilish rebellion against the reverend clergy by a whaleman going, but that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> also, I, I did want to draw attention to you again. We've got this illustration, which we should definitely post.
0: Yeah, we, we've scanned. All the pictures in Ben's beautiful copy of Moby Dick. And one of these days, I'm going to go to the effort of actually posting all the pictures and the nice scans. But...
1: We should definitely post this one soon.
0: I w- I'm going to make a giant post with all the pictures. I don't want to okay. post the pictures piecemeal. And it was a lot of effort to post all the pictures from the picture chapters. So I I'm saving it for a time when I have the energy.
1: <laughs> That's fair. I just... I really like the way this picture depicts Jonah, because it's got, like, a, um, a sperm whale risen up out of the ocean by a little cliff, and the jaw has, like, lowered, like, a gangplank. So it's using the unique, like, right-angling, long, thin jaw of the sperm whale to create a very, um, picturesque image of this little robed prophet walking down it, uh... Like he's carrying his luggage off of the, uh, off the boat.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, Ben is eager for cat time, so let's, uh... Oh No, no, no,
1: I can, look, the cat's gone now, it's not in line of sight, so let's, <laughs> let's, let's give pitch polling its due.
0: Okay, yes, I just mean let's move on to pitch polling.
1: Yes, so chapter 84, pitch polling. Yes. What is pitch polling, you might ask?
0: Yeah, uh, so this actually, this chapter, which is about a particular whaling practice... Does op-
1: not start with that whaling practice. No,
0: it opens with a different whaling practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, some whalers grease the bottom of their boats uh, under the belief that this will make it, like, you know, slide more slickly and Yeah,
1: reduce friction. And I gotta say, the first time I read this book, I thought that's what pitch polling was until I got later into the chapter. Because pitch, well, it's not grease, is a substance that you would work into the seams of your boat to um to waterproof it so the idea that greasing your pitch was called pitch pulling i was like oh that makes sense wait wait it's a different thing
0: yeah yeah so apparently uh queequeg in particular very much believed in oiling the bottom of his boat and was uh hard at work on this uh, uh one morning uh not long after they left the jungfrau and uh he turned out to have uh anticipated a a, an upcoming whale chase
1: who could have known that sailing in the whaling grounds in the season on the line they would find whales
0: yeah yeah
1: like ishmael is so you know oh quick i must have had some you know precognition that there are whales to chase and it's like yeah it's called there were whales to chase like uh you know as so soon as the um you know, not long after the German ship Jungfrau disappeared, so like, a couple of days later, well within the range of, ah, he was, he was you know, cleverly ahead of it, um, whales again, because yeah. it's the whale hunting grounds.
0: I mean, I'm gonna give him the slight credit that it sounds like Queequeg was particularly busily oiling his boat the morning that they encountered some whales. Yes,
1: but I... I guess all I'm saying is that this just shows that Queequeg is a diligent whaler, and not that he has somehow predicted whales.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, they see some whales. Uh, They lower.
1: Uh, The whales are uh, fleeing with swift precipitancy, a disordered flight, as of Cleopatra's barges from Actium. Which, I love that Ishmael is just peppering these last few chapters. I mean, obviously one of them was all classical references, but he's really just going in on classical references in this section.
0: Yeah. So, uh, in this case, um, Stubb's boat uh, gets the closest to the whales. Um, and uh, they, testigo by great exertion, Testigo at last succeeded in planting one iron. Um, but the whale, uh, rather than sounding, just uh, swims off Horizontally, yeah,
1: as fast as it can. And so the danger here is that that puts a lot of uh, pressure on the harpoon, and eventually it will pop out of the whale.
0: Yeah, so this means that uh, it became imperative to lance the flying whale or be content to lose him. Uh, But there's no way for them to get up close to the whale because it's swimming so quickly.
1: Yeah, they're only, they're probably only keeping up because I don't think any of the other boats are involved in this chase now. They're only keeping up because they are tied to the whale.
0: Yes. Uh, and so this calls for pitch polling. Um,
1: of all the wondrous devices and dexterities, the sleights of hand and countless subtleties to which the veteran whaleman is so often forced, none exceed that fine maneuver with the lance called pitch polling.
0: Yes, um, and this is basically a, uh, a, 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 a maneuver uh, by which it is possible to throw a lance extremely far and accurately.
1: Yes. Also, he briefly, uh, takes the time to say that, uh, any sort of cool things you do with swords, nothing compared to throwing the cool lance. Yes. Um. Uh, and, um, it is only indispensable with an inveterate running whale. Its grand fact and feature is the wonderful distance to which the long lance is accurately darted from a violently rocking, jerking boat under extreme headway. So this is like a method of taking a 12-foot Foot lance of like a light long thin rod of wood with a um, with a sharp tip Who's playing with the cat now? Um, and uh, Which has a rope on it called a warp that you're going to use to draw it back to you It doesn't have the long line of the um, of the harpoon It's just got enough line that if you miss or even if you hit you can Because you are already tied to the whale you can pull it back to you again and again Um.
0: I think uh I think that Hobbs rubbed his face so powerfully against the corner of the table that our mic is on that it might have picked up a little on the mic. Uh
1: look, there are there are powerful little creatures swimming about the table. Yes. Um but so the um therefore we must first get fast to a whale before any pitch pulling comes into play. So the um yeah, it so is he, he... not as successful in its throws because, you know, this is a way of getting extreme range and with some degree of accuracy, you're not going to try and pitch-pull a harpoon, only a lance.
0: Yes, like, it is technically possible to pitch-pull a harpoon, but it's it's more difficult. Um,
1: so. Yeah. Uh, now look at Stubb. Thank you, we do. Often enough, thanks. Um, a man from whom, he, who from his humorous, deliberate coolness and equanimity in the direst emergencies was specially qualified to excel in pitch-pulling. And now we have the broad description of pitch polling, which I think
0: I get. Yeah. So let's just read the text here because it's a tricky physical maneuver. And I think we should just give what Ishmael says and then try to see if we can interpret exactly what's happening. See, see, I I,
1: I think what he's doing is. Mm -hmm.
0: Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Okay. The
1: disgusted look Mark just gave me for (laughs) miming that out in an audio-only format was, frankly, reward enough.
0: (laughs) Handling the long lance lightly, glancing twice or thrice along its length to see if it be exactly straight, Sub whistlingly gathers up the coil of the warp in one hand, so as to secure its free end in his grasp, leaving the rest unobstructed. Then, holding the lance full before his waistband's middle, he levels it at the whale, when, covering him with it, he steadily depresses the butt-end in his hand, thereby elevating the point till the weapon stands fairly balanced upon his palm, fifteen feet in the air. He minds you somewhat of a juggler, balancing a long staff on his chin. Next moment, with a rapid, nameless impulse, in a superb, lofty arch, the bright steel spans the foaming distance and quivers in the life-spot of the whale. Instead of sparkling water, he now spouts red blood.
1: Yeah. So the actual movement of shoulder and arm is not described. No. What he's what he does is he points the lance at the whale. He's got the rope in the in his off the uh, warp in his offhand so that he can pull it back in. He then raises it up so that it's pointing up. I'm personally reminded of a uh, pole vaulter, because I did pole vault in high school. Sure. But he's, he's like, aimed it, he's raised it up in front of him. It's sitting on his palm, But I'm assu- and I'm assuming it's still, like, couched at his stomach. And then he must turn it, or he must either launch it up and—he f- uh, must launch it up and forward, probably at 45 degrees if it's supposed to get maximum distance, since I think that's about the most efficient— um, so yeah, he, this is. It sounds as though pitch pulling is basically launching the lance pretty much more up than sideways. It's not like an overhand throw. It's like a um, a thrust up from the belly.
0: Yeah, I think that's so that right.
1: it flies forward and on that arc. And presumably, the nameless impulse is like something. I'm I'm going to do it in person, but I'm going to try and describe it. You like have the hand at your belly then you push it up with your shoulder and twist it as it goes so that you can end up, like, you know, as if you're throwing a basketball with one hand. Like, from a distance. Yeah. So that you can get that, like, full thrust up, you know, your whole spine behind it, but it's mostly up and sideways, so it makes a long arc.
0: I think you have basically described what has to be happening here. Um, It is true that Ishmael really doesn't, like, when it gets to the actual movement he, he calls
1: it a rapid nameless impulse. Yes,
0: uh, <laughs> uh, um. and
1: then it goes in a superb, lofty arc. So I do think I am, I do think I'm correct that it is most more up than it is sideways. Uh, or yes. it's this really long throw is relying a lot on getting like that long arc into the whale rather than trying to throw horizontally or even close to horizontally like a javelin.
0: Yes. Uh, and in this case, Stubb hit the life spot right away. Uh,
1: yep. Instead of sparkling water, he now spouts red blood. The yep. whale is dead.
0: Yep. And uh, they, you know, they. I guess for good measure, uh, he continues darting uh, the lance at the whale.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: and they they pull up close, and uh, the whale, the agonized whale, goes into his flurry. The tow line is slackened, and the pitch polar dropping astern folds his hands and mutely watches the monster die.
1: So I want to point out that uh, Stubb is talking through the whole throwing process, but once he's done with the exertion, he, like, holds back and calms down, and this idea that Stubb's way of handling the stress is just to constantly talk and joke in a sort of low-key way, like, through the whole throwing, he's like, "'That drove the spigot out of him,' cried Stubb. "'Tis July's immortal fourth. All fountains must run wine today.'" And, you know, goes on about different, um, different liquors he w- and bre- beers and wines that he wishes the spout were producing, like, that he just wants to have a spigot of. Yeah. Like, he's just talking about booze while, as he's doing this, repeatedly hurling the lance or other lances again and again with the pitch-pulling motion to continue finishing off the whale. Yeah. But then when he's done... He no longer has a reason to keep nattering away and, and, uh, to keep, you know, up this stream of words and settles back to, uh, to watch it finish.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think you were right that, like, talking and chatting in this way is part of how Stubb keeps that coolness that makes him such a good pitch puller. Yes. Um...
1: It's, you know, he's the one who has the, you know, oh, oh, no, easy, lads, easy, just burst a blood vessel, just break <laughs> your lungs, just, but no calm, soft, why can't you be more soft and easy and also strained to your utmost? Yeah. Like he, he has this uh, constant paradoxical element of both intense focus and, like, just sort of loquacious nattering.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think that's pretty much it for today. Yeah,
1: pitch pulling was... Yeah, we really didn't have a particularly, like, coherent theme this time. I know we say this a lot because this is how this book is and it's how Ishmael is. Yeah. But, like, there really isn't... Except in the sense that this entire section is all about making Wailers look cool. But so is this entire book. <laughs> like, Stubb is definitely shown to his best, like, appearance here. He's definitely shown off to his best effect. Yeah. Um, obviously... Whalemen Historically Regarded and of, you know, of Jonah, histori- of the historical Jonah or whatever, are both really, in you know, fixed on how cool whalemen are, but also then through that rolling into the historical element. And then of Jonah Historically Regarded is actually negative about a whaleman, but in a sort of sarcastic way. So, yeah, And the first one about bad whalemen is definitely there to make the whalers of the Pequod look cooler.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: So I think that that is what I will posit as the thing that strings together these particular chapters, but it's a very loose stringing.
0: Yeah, I I really do not see the need to try to make arguments like that.
1: <laughs>
0: I'd like to think about
1: why, even though Ishmael is such a haphazard storyteller, why Melville put things in the order they are, how they flow into each other, That's to fair. give the overall effect of the book, despite the fact that it is this sort of incoherent bouncing back and forth where things are in a a sort of careful disorder
0: i i'm fine with the idea of talking about like what sort of strings uh consecutive chapters together i'm just saying that trying to talk about it as though the selections we do for a podcast have any rhyme or reason like (laughs) sometimes we look out and we find chunks that are about whale's heads yes where it actually makes sense to put a particular past set of chapters together for an episode but more often we have an episode like this where it's like well that was about seven thousand words all right
1: (laughs) yeah yeah you know you're not wrong there i i just mean that i like to think about what each section of the text broadly understood each sort of what the gradient is of topics and why when say we jerk back from one topic to another that occurs so for example one thing i think we can point out is that once again pitch polling is a mostly narrative chapter but because it's focusing on a specific technical aspect it manages to flow out of the non-narrative historical chapters pretty effectively and similarly i think the uh, story of the virgin which i expected to be a story heard about from the like crew of the virgin the same way that the uh previous stories of chapters were like like the story of the jeroboam was about the Jeroboam. Yeah. Whereas the story of the Virgin is about a thing that happened with the Pequod. The Virgin themselves, they have no stories to tell. They have, yeah, they have nothing I, interesting to give us. I mean, us. it's not
0: like the chapter was titled The Story of. It was just called The Pequod Meets the Virgin. Oh,
1: was it? I, maybe the other ones were the story of the Yeah, it was like the, the Jeroboam's story. Mm.
0: I mean, I'm not blaming you for imagining that they were going to have some kind of communication with this ship. Because yeah, that you're is right. What it's the Pequod
1: meets the Virgin, the Jeroboam story, and what's there's one other.
0: The town hose story.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So those those two both are called the story, but I was wrong that this uh, was like that. I just sort of assumed, and my brain did not at any point engage. Whoops. It's
0: fine. It's fine. Uh, all <sighs> right. What tune is it you pull for, man?
1: A dead whale or a stove boat.